Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Maybe they don't have a lot of cash, but here's the thing. The players don't care. A certain amount of players may not believe them, but I think even if a majority do believe them, they just don't care. That's not on them to figure out, meaning the players. The owners have to figure this out. Ricketts mentioned in that article that they've already borrowed to get through part of this season. Well, maybe they need to borrow some more so that the players just don't care if the owners don't have cash, whether they believe them or not. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh-oh. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Jesse Rogers on ESPN yesterday. Jamie, if the Cubs didn't give us enough reason to hate them already, they gave us one more yesterday. I don't know if you guys have read this article yet, both you two in this room and also our audience, but man, would I recommend doing so because I I read it last night. (sighs) What a disaster. Yeah. A lot of hate while you're reading it. Tom Ricketts just really stuck it to himself. He made himself into being one of the most unlikable people you could possibly expect in baseball. 100% scratching my head the entire time as to why are you doing this? So the one thing that the owners have done a great job of this entire time is win the PR game. They have gotten the casual fan on their side in a way I never could have anticipated. Players sound greedy. They sound like they're not, they're basically turning up their nose at every idea that owners are throwing out there. They're talking publicly on Twitch and all these different things. They just sound out of touch with the reality. Owners, meanwhile, have mostly stayed quiet and have basically made their statement something to the effect of, well, we want to play baseball. But we're losing money. Yeah. So we want to play fewer games. And a lot of the audience has typically said, okay, we get that. And then yesterday, Tom Ricketts comes out and gives this quote, quote, the scale of losses across the league is biblical. The timing of the work stoppage, the inability to play was right before the season started. We're looking at 30 teams with zero revenue. Unfortunately, he didn't stop there. Ricketts also claims that 70%, 70% of the Cubs' revenue comes from their gate receipts. Oh, yeah, the Cubs, 70%, because they don't get any other revenue, right? 70. Yeah, those <laughs> massive TV deals, they're not a part of this. Have you seen how much their TV deal is worth? I have not seen the number. It is a 25-year billion TV deal. (laughs) Again, $8.3 billion with a B dollar TV deal. 
This is the man that's crying poor. Tom Ricketts, you have officially succeeded in making the owner's side the side that looks greedy in this entire situation. Well, it's so dumb, really, when you think about it, right? Because it's not like if this was a small market team or something like that, like you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I feel bad for the little guy in Major League Baseball because, you know, they're struggling. They, they need that revenue. They need every ticket sold. But when it's the Chicago Cubs, and you like you just described the TV deal alone. Never mind any other corporate sponsorship and stuff that's going to happen anyways. And all the We're ancillary, yeah, <laughs> all the ancillary uh, revenue sources that are right around the stadium. Like you said, Wrigleyville. Like, come on, man. Now you're you're just making people feel like you're just flat out lying to them. Or you think they're stupid, which is even worse. Well, and especially because, you know, these guys aren't going to show the books. They're not going to show anybody anything. So you're going off of people's words. And for somebody like this to use the term biblical and then say 70% of your revenue. <laughs> That's a good point. Where people can, can look at your massive television deal, as BK just, just told you. It's public information. It's public info. So you cannot lie to people and say, well, you know, 70% of our revenue comes from the gate. No, you're the Chicago Cubs. That's a joke. By yeah. the way, the net worth for Tom Ricketts. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. $900 million. Just shut up, Tom. That's biblical. <laughs> $900 million. He somehow continued to one-up himself in this story, by the way. His next quote, the league itself does not make a lot of cash. I think there's a perception that we hoard cash and we take money out and it's all sitting in a pile and we've collected it over the years. Well, it isn't because no one anticipated a pandemic. No one expects to have to draw uh, draw down on the reserve from the past. Every team has to figure out a way to plug that hole now. Oh, boy. Yeah, let me pull out the world's smallest violin for you, Tom Ricketts. What do you mean you don't make a lot of cash as a league? If that were true, these owners would all be fighting to sell their teams. If this wasn't a good business venture, then every time that a team comes up for sale, it wouldn't go leaps and bounds above what the expected value of that team is. The Kansas City Royals just sold. The Kansas City Royals for a billion dollars. Your favorite team. $8.3 billion over 25 years is $332 million a year. Thank you for that math, 314. Oh, yeah. yes. I was wondering. I was I was going to ask that question. Then I looked at you guys. I'm like, no chance we'll know that. So let, let me put that in perspective for a second. If I am supposed to believe Tom Ricketts, that's 70% of their revenues come from the gate. Then the $332 million a year makes up a portion of the remaining 30% of their revenues. Yes. They're making over a billion dollars as a team a year if that number is true. Let me go ahead and throw this out there for everybody. The number's not real. He doesn't make 70% of his revenue from the gate receipts. What, this is crazy. What's just startling about this is that he didn't think as this was going on that this is a bad idea or that, you know, when before you start an interview like this or you uh, discuss something with a media member, like yeah. you usually have an idea <laughs> of what road we're going Here's down. Here's what here. I want to get across, right? Yeah. Here's my message that I want to spread. Here's today. my strategy, right? That this is uh, this is crazy. I wonder, like, what's he thinking? And the fact that, look, dissect it a little further. He's worth $900 million 
personally. When's the last time you've seen a guy that successful that owns a massive company own a company that's losing money like that? It doesn't happen. It it's, just like you may have one facet of it and you have other companies. That, but this is the Chicago Cubs. This guy's worth nine hundred million dollars. The World Series three years ago yeah. and have been competitive each of the and last five years. Payroll through the roof you, every year. You know like, who I'd like to hear from? I'd like to hear Jerry Reinsdorf talk because he's the other Chicago baseball yeah. owner. And you're oh, yeah. and you're hearing one guy talk about oh well seventy percent of our revenue. You're the the massive team in Chicago. And then let's hear from the guy who has the 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 little brother team in Chicago. The scale of the losses across the league is biblical. How did he think that was going to come across as he's saying that, Tom Ricketts? I don't... uh, What was going through your mind when you say that? Can you imagine the owners, the other ones around the league going, okay, which one of us is calling him today? (laughs) (laughs) Imagine the conference call Uh, with with the Pirates and the Marlins and the Tampa Bay Rays as they're just sitting there like, Tom, yeah, <laughs> you did what? Yeah. You said what? And you said this to ESPN? It's not like he said this to some small local blog or something, right? Maybe it doesn't pick off or pick up, even though we know how this works today. It would have been picked up somewhere else, At right? At some point. But you said this to ESPN, to Jesse Rogers, who had his byline on a story with Jeff Passan last week. And you didn't think this was going to make some waves? So as a Cardinals fan today... At the very minimum, you can take solace in knowing you got good ownership because the team up north, they can't say the same thing. The team up north is the one that's talking about trading Chris Bryant because they, quote, can't afford it. And suddenly you've got a situation where their owner is saying that the scale of losses across the league is biblical. I can't believe that this is where we are. <laughs> I, 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 I can't believe baseball is really doing this. This is what they're trying to sell to this us. This is going to be part of the problem, though, now, yeah. is the, the, the casual fan. Like you said earlier, PK, uh, they've been thinking that the players are maybe spoiled or overpaid or whatever. Now they're going to be looking at this going, these owners, now they're just throwing it in our faces. Yeah. So it's going to, I'm telling you, this is, I said it before, it's going to get worse before yeah. it gets better. This is a massive roadblock, and we were talking optimism yesterday, but these are the things that they're, the, the owners just threw a major stick uh, in the middle of the road that they were hoping that they could just ease down. Gag order coming for Ricketts. <laughs> Someone said punch him in the mouth and turn him into Tom Chicklets. Somebody will try. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's 1111. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Very excited to be joined by Conzo Martin. The Mizzou men's basketball coach will join us coming up at 1130. He has made his voice heard over the last couple of days. I'm excited to talk with him about everything that's going on in our country right now. I think he's got a unique perspective on all of that. Coming up next... A special anniversary for baseball today. I'll tell you what it is on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. And a high fly ball into deep right field. I don't believe it. A grand slam home run. I have learned over the years that there comes a rare and precious moment where there is absolutely nothing better than silence. 
nothing better to be absolutely speechless to sum up a situation. And that was the moment. That was Yasiel Puig's first week in Major League Baseball. And this is one heck of an anniversary for me. I love it. You're all over this, huh? Seven years ago today, Yasiel Puig makes his Major League Baseball debut. Do you remember what that first week, that first month was like watching Yasiel Puig? Yasiel Puig in his first week of games, 16 hits in his 32 at-bats. That included two doubles, four home runs, 10 RBIs, a double play from the outfield, His debut week was unlike just about anything I've seen. His story took the league by storm. Mm -hmm. It transcended the sport. His unique abilities, like the fact that he's just this massive dude that hits huge taters to the outfield, like the guy was incredible to watch. And so I wanted to take a moment today, Jamie, to appreciate the fact (laughs) that Yasiel Puig seven years ago today was a national sensation, and I wanted to expand the conversation a bit because we've seen some of this in sports, where there's a guy that for a week, a month, a year, when he hits the scene, he just absolutely dominates. Is there anybody, when I say that, Jamie, that immediately comes to mind for you the way that Yasiel Puig did back seven years ago today? Wow. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, it's tough, right, to compete with that. Uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank right now. I'll give you one. I have to think about this. Think about this too, Ferrario. At the same time, think about some of the hockey guys. Cause- oh, I have one immediately that comes to mind. Alex Ovechkin. I mean, remember yeah. Alex Ovechkin's yeah. first year? He scored the goal against the Arizona Coyotes on his back. That's where... In, Around his and, head. And Gretzky talks about it still because he was the coach at the time. He said, that was the moment I knew we had another superstar in the league. Yeah. And I guess Connor McDavid, too. That's a you good know, one. Yeah. When I look at his first go-round, like, he went coast to coast. Oh, yeah. Like, through everybody. Speed he was so fast that right away you're like, did somebody just hit the fast-forward button? Well, and, and how about Tarasenko? His yeah. first NHL game, he scores two, two goals, goals against the Red Wings, it's, and that yeah. one was a was a nifty little yeah. deke move on, I don't remember who the defenseman was, but that's how another one. Another one locally. Albert Pujols. Now, this is yeah. one that sustained itself, right? Albert ended up having one of the greatest decades of baseball that we've ever seen. But his first month as a rookie here in St. Louis, he had 100 plate appearances in that month. He hit 370 with a 430 on base percentage, and it included eight doubles, a triple, and eight home runs. That was his announcement of I've arrived back in 2001. As a rookie, he was doing that. Albert Pujols hit the scene and immediately dominated the league from the moment that he arrived. Jordan Bennington. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. How about Dan Apples? Shut out the first freaking (laughs) game. I was looking through our text line coming through. I'm like, because I'm drawing a blank, and I look, I go, Bennington. Are you kidding me? Like, no kidding. Yeah. My God. Well, what about, and I, By the way, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text slide. If you guys have any that you want to throw into the mix, again, it's the seven-year anniversary of Yasiel Puig taking Major League Baseball just completely by storm after his debut. Another one, and I'd have to look at the actual numbers on this, but Yoannis Cespedes, and I was telling you guys this off the air, and I don't remember what his numbers were that first year in Oakland, but I do remember his highlights on SportsCenter nonstop of him throwing a ball from the left field position to the catcher, and it wouldn't even bounce off the field 
field, it would just legitimately into the glove and they would tag him. I don't remember what his offensive numbers were. I think the, the thing that's interesting is a lot of the guys that immediately come to mind for me are baseball players. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Like, if you think about Jeremy Hazelbaker, again, locally, a guy yeah. that just, like, for a month was incredible. And maybe it's just the players are so reliant on video now mm-hmm. that you're able to come in right away and people don't really have that video. And so you, you're just able to take advantage of the pitchers. Maybe that's it. But I do think there's something to baseball being the sport that has a little bit of this. Uh, one of my buddies just texted me, former uh, producer here at 101 ESPN, Travis Green. He said Austin Matthews. He scored four goals in yeah, his first game debut for the games, NHL. Four Travis. Goals. I'm That's, thinking basketball, too. Remember Jeremy Lin? Yeah, Lin Sanity. Lin Sanity. And I know the text line's lighting up about it. But, yeah. I mean, that was all over SportsCenter for a couple of, of weeks, maybe a month it felt like. How about Tom Brady? Oh, well, he, he was... He had a little bit of this, but it was different, right? Because How? He went on to win the Super Bowl I, that I know, year. I know, and that's the hard part about saying something like this that sounds outlandish. But Brady wasn't necessarily, as is going to sound crazy, the reason why that team won the Super Bowl. Now, he they, they couldn't have won it without him being on the team because he was an important part of it. You just can't get over it. The defense in those first three was the key to them winning those Super Bowls, right? The Did one- they win that Super Bowl with Drew Bledsoe? No, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I... <laughs> I I understand they needed him to be able to win, but he didn't take the league by storm. The Patriots took the league by storm. What they did against that Rams team was unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was watching, the physicality with which they were playing against that Rams offense, the way they were able to shut them down. I would actually say on the other side of that, Kurt Warner is the guy that took the league by storm. Yeah, that was great. His first year as a starter led the NFL in yards per attempt, completion percentage, and touchdowns. That's what I'm talking about here. I'm amazed you haven't said your, uh, your homeboy, BK. I was waiting for you oh, guys. God. I mean, I, I mean, Rips, to be honest with you, we've gone six minutes in the segment, and he did not even start with Pat Mahomes. I know, and he's been sitting there waiting to do it, and all he wanted to do is just dog on our picks to finally go, well, you know, this Patrick Mahomes guy was kind of good, too. The text line, future Hall of Famer Frank Gore agreed 100%. Uh, oh, come on. Frank Gore took no, that lead by storm. still taking the lead by storm. You're damn right he is. We're not doing this today. We're right not doing did. this today. It's a hump what day. About Mike Tyson? Yeah, I think about one. that. He was like, what, 18, 19 years old, and he's just ripping through heavyweights? Another from the text line, Trevor Story. Oh, that's a really good. Oh, that's a good story. I mean, he. I mean, he made. Uh, God, that's such a bad dad that's a joke. Great <laughs> that's dad, such joke, a bad ribs. dad joke. Come on, it's <laughs> just funny. In, in passing, <laughs> I mean, his first couple of at bats were goners in that ballpark. I, it, Trevor Story's a great one. Um, I'm looking it up right now, but in his first two weeks. 17 hits, two doubles, two triples, and eight home runs. That's in two weeks' time. That guy came in right away. I remember he was a story here locally because Cardinals fans were like, man, could the the Cardinals end up maybe getting in on something like that? Would that be a guy? Could he be the next Rocky that becomes a Cardinal? Because this guy looks like a lot of fun (laughs) to watch. And that was before Paul DeYoung, of course, became what he now is. But Trevor Story's a great one. Our boss, Mike Ryder, just said Bo Hart. It's a good one. First month, basically, took the league by storm. Baseball is the one. Ba- baseball is the sport. I don't know why it is that way. What about I, I Tiger do- Woods? Yeah. How about that first year? Yeah. That's I know really the anticipation one. was there and all that, but still. And it never ended. Oh, I've got another one for you guys. LeBron James. No, Michael he, Jordan. He was, he was pretty good. 
He was pretty good right away. So, uh, who's next now, okay? Because we got Patrick Mahomes, LeBron James. Mm. You've got a mission. Yeah. And all of these, I've figured out that all of these segments, somehow, when you draw a map, it ends up back to Patrick Mahomes or to LeBron you James. You just figured that out? Like yesterday, he brought up you know, the Miami Heat. I didn't even bring well, who up. played for the Heat at that time? Oh, LeBron. I didn't bring up uh, Patrick Mahomes in this segment. That was you guys. You, you text. I watched it from your phone. And I I checked the number. You texted in Patrick Mahomes. No, that's, that's, that's not a disqualification. true. That's not true. <laughs> you are tampering with the audience here. That is not accurate. You are playing with the audience's emotions. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line from the three one four. How have you guys not mentioned Randy Moss yet? Yeah. Randy Moss is a really good one. Randy yeah. Moss came in right away and was absolutely dominant. Do you guys remember watching those oh, late yeah. 90s Vikings oh, teams? My God. I mean, that's right in my wheelhouse when I was you know, at the age mm-hmm. where I, I was really watching football. Randy Moss, I had started watching him when he played for, what was it, uh, in college. Marshall. Marshall, Marshall yeah. yeah. And he looked so awkward in college because he was so tall and slender. And then you'd watch the game. And he's dominating. And then when he went to the NFL, it was controversial pick because he had some off-field issues, and the Vikings were, like, taking a risk. And then he just came in and blew the doors off the NFL. 17 touchdowns receiving in his first year. Crazy. 1,300 yards. Like, we think now about how much Odell Beckham... Odell Beckham is actually another good answer for this. The the catch that he had on Monday Night Football. One catch doesn't make it great. I mean, he was an incredible player that year as well. But we think about how good he... I see what you're trying to make. Power through it. Six five seven eight zero is Air Comfort Service text line from the six one eight. Today, BK piss off the listeners' day. <laughs> wow. Oh wait, that's yikes! That's, that's every, every day, day that ends in Y. Yeah, that's that's correct, and I'm sure that Jamie Rivers was trying to play towards that a second ago. I didn't do anything. We think about how much Odell Beckham took the league by storm with what he was able to do. Randy Moss did that. Just even better back in 1998. The difference was there was just less coverage of it back then than there is today. What about Shaq? Yeah, Didn't his Shaq first year he break the ba- the uh, the backboard in an yeah, NBA that, game. That one that like he broke the whatever there. Yeah, the, the glass backboard and yeah. ripped it down. He was with Orlando. I don't know if that was the first year, but I mean that Orlando team was damn good at the time. We got a good one here. Six three six. Can't forget Ricky Vaughn. Wild thing. Oh, yeah. I've got another good one from the 636. How about Jamie River? You guys remember what he did in his rookie year? Damn right I do. How was your rookie year, uh, My rookie year in pro hockey? Not a big deal. Made the all-star game in the AHL. Not bad for a first-year guy. I think I had like 40-some points that year. That'll play? Yeah, not too bad. Your, your rookie year in the NHL. Oh. So, <laughs> do you... Well, do you count 95-96 or 96-97 as your rookie year? Oh. You only played three games in 95-96. Yeah, I think 96-97 is... Probably the official one. I think I had like seven points in like 13 games or something. Pretty close. Seven yep. points in 15 games. There we go. You. These hockey players' memories are just glorious. Only six penalty minutes that year. I'm a little disappointed by that number. No way. Stay out of the box, man. Yeah, you well, the next the year, you, had, you were up to 36. Yeah. No, I... Uh, you learned your lesson of not the whole going to point the box. of The whole point of being successful as a donkey on the ice is not being caught. And that's the biggest thing is if you can provide some physicality and not put your team down all the time. Because I remember as a younger player, you're like you're running around like I had 130 minutes and penalties in Worcester my first year. And Jimmy Roberts was the head coach. He's like, you're in the box too damn much. Like, what are you doing? Like, we don't need you in the box. We need you to play. You need to figure out how to play this game without being in the box. And so that's when I tried to work on, you know, hitting better, timing better, doing things that or maybe not being seen and caught. Um, 
Yeah, so just getting better at being dirty. That's great. Hope the kids are listening. <laughs> With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Alex Ferrario. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Very excited to be joined by Conzo Martin, the Mizzou men's basketball coach and an East St. Louis native. He has, for me, had some of the most powerful words that I've read over the last couple of days about everything that's going on in our country right now. He's going to join us next to discuss it, and we will actually hear from the coach of the Mizzou men's basketball team. That's next, Conzo Martin on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Defenseman Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line where I'm very happy to be joined by Conzo Martin. He's the Mizzou men's basketball coach and, of course, an East St. Louis native. Conzo, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's start with this. What's the last 10 days been like for you? Uh, man, it's been somewhat a bumpy road. Um, uh, I think they've been talking in terms of George Floyd and also RB. We, we saw those situations. Uh, not that we hadn't seen it before. Uh, exhausting. It takes a toll on you. But I think more than anything, um, something in me, and maybe you can say that the COVID virus uh, made me obviously take a stand. Um, you, you always want when you're making decisions because this is important, especially when you deal with life and you're dealing with people. And I go back to when I was out in California, when Colin Kaepernick took took a knee, and uh, I saw that up close. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I think more than anything, this is hard to say, uh, self-preservation over the situation because you want to provide for your family, and, and a guy like me, I provide for just my immediate family. You, you, you help young men and women in communities, families. You do so many things. You try to do right by people. So... And working for a university, you want to be careful there. So I didn't take a step. And then this happened. And obviously stuff happened before. I mean, when I was at uh, a situation a couple of years back, and it just seemed like it could, And then I just got to this point where I just said, I have to do something. And I think uh, you have to take a step. So part of the change. I, I have to get in the trenches to be a part of the change. I, I just can't sit back anymore, and that's what it came down to for me. So I, I think that's really interesting, Conzo, because I've noticed that you've been very available in the last couple of days. Not that you're not normally, you certainly are, but uh, you've spoken out differently in, the, in, the, in this moment than I've seen from you in the past. What, what about it in particular made you feel like this was the time when you, you really needed to make sure that your voice was heard, that you felt like you had something to say here and you wanted to make sure that people were able to hear it? I, I think one of the things, man, you just you find out uh, when you, and I, and I kind of give you a backdrop, and anybody that plays sports and understand the anxiety, the stress, and the feel when you worry just in a sport, how, how you start to feel. Um, and, you know, I read something a long time ago. You never really uh, live in until you experience a scary place. Uh, and then you have to figure out where your faith is. Do you really believe in God and those sorts of things? And I just kind of go back to you, you think about fear. It, the, the way fear makes your body feel, uh, it, it takes a toll on your mind. It, it takes a toll on everything you want. It makes you afraid, the, the stress, the anxiety, uh, the negative energy. So... So imagine walking like that for 20-plus years of your life 
on the edge. Not not every day. I want to be clear here, but on the edge. Um, and I just I, I just said, man, I have to I have to be a part of this, and I, and I go back to my mom because we we have Zoom calls on Sunday with, with my family. It's my mom, my brothers, sisters, everybody. And my mom just said, uh, she used the word sorry. She said the word sorry cannot bring a mother's son back. That's not good enough. He's gone. He, he would never, I would never see him again. He would never done this earth again. And I think when you when you think about the word racism, that is, that is a word that's been around, I, I guess, as long as I've been on this earth, as long as my mom been on this earth, but the word racism, I, I think we have to, the people that care, we have to treat that word the same way we treat cancer, the same way we treat HIV and AIDS. We try to kill those diseases. We do everything in our power, the amount of money we spend to eliminate those diseases. I, I was I was a cancer patient, and I'm only here today because of the money that was invested before I was on this earth. That's why I'm here, and I'm grateful to be here for that. So now you fast forward. That word has to be eliminated. That that word should be in a museum somewhere that, where it no longer exists at some point. And as long as I continue to stay on this earth, God willing, I have to do everything in my power to fight that and fight it in the right way. Now, Conzo, uh, I'm a father of four, and I know you're a father as well. And I talked to BK yesterday about it that, you know, we ended up having a conversation at the Rivers House, and the conversation was about current events and what's happening in the world. And, you know, my kids had questions about certain things. And, you know, we're doing the best as we can as parents to inform them, to educate them, to make them better so that that generation keeps evolving and are better. How are some of the conversations with your kids, with your son? And, and you know, what are some of the things you're, you're trying to educate him on in order to help this process as well? Well, I think what we talk to our kids about, and I, I talk to our team about this as well, my players. So the same thing I talk to my sons about, I talk to my, my players about. I said the most important thing that we have to do, is because we can all talk about this issue, but we have to be a part of solving a problem, creating solutions. So I said to our guys, the first thing we have to do, we all have to register to vote. So we gave all our guys the information to vote, and we have to make sure they do that. And, and I will be adamant about making sure they vote because we can't complain about something if we're not in the trenches to try to correct it. The second thing that I talk to my players about, and, and, and I have white and black players on the team, we, we have to stop well, our players stop using the N-word. And they, I don't deal with that word around me. They don't use it around me. But oftentimes, as young guys, you're in the locker room, you use that word. I said, because now if you have a, a guy sitting next to you of another race, and he hears that word, and the way you said the level of comfort in which, which you say it, then that makes him comfortable with saying the word. And all of a sudden, you're upset when he uses that word. Well, you just said the word like we were having fun. So stand thing is Malcolm X, he said it best. He said, if you want to keep something from a black person, then put it in the book. Then put it in the book. We have to educate ourselves. And I think, in my opinion, the most important entities in our society in this world starts with the school teachers. I remember each one of my school teachers' words that they said. I remember their faces. They had a major impact on my life. They did a tremendous job developing me from a young man into a man. The transition was beautiful. They were an extension of my mother when I went to school. They made sure they held me accountable. They educated me. And they loved me. They made me feel good. They made me confident. And then the other entity, I think what we need to help our young men and women understand, especially of color, police officers are wonderful people. Yes, there are some that seem to have an issue with 
black boys and black men, but they're wonderful people, and they make our country go. They have just as much, if not more, value than school teachers. But I think on the flip side, and I'm not a police officer, and I'll say this with all respect, they have to do a better job of training, in my opinion. They have to train with the mindset of a Navy SEAL. They have to train from an educational point of a, a scholar because that is a tough job, and they require a tremendous amount of precision because you cannot get out of your car with your hand on the trigger unless it's hand-in-hand combat. There has to be a relationship within the community to say, hey, man, I'm a part of this community. I understand what you're going through. Let's talk about it. But if you're getting out of the car and your hand is on the handle, that is a problem within itself. And if that job is too tough, you shouldn't be in that job. We're talking about the other Go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead, Coach. The last thing is we have to lean on the churches, the pastors, the ministers, the they have to get involved with this as well because they need a role in our society. And I think all three of those entities have a major role. We can't lean on sports to build us out every time. We need those entities to build up our communities and all of a sudden the world will change. We're talking to Mizzou men's basketball coach Conzo Martin here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Uh, coach, my, my first year at college, I went to Mizzou, uh, was in 2011, and that was the same year that we saw the Trayvon Martin tragedy. Um, it feels like basically every year that I've been around in my adult life, there's been another name added to that list at this point. I was at Mizzou in 2015 when there were the racial demonstrations on campus, and now here we are today. Um, does this moment for you feel different? Does it feel like we are seeing actual potential for change this time around compared to what we've seen in the past tragedies that have happened? I mean, it's been longer than the last decade, but specifically over the last decade. I think it, it feels different this week, but I think what happens is we, we have to stand the test of time. There'll be two weeks and then there'll be a month and there'll be a year and we have to see where are we. Because what happened, I, I think Sports has a way of intervening, sometimes in a positive way, but in this case, if it intervenes, it'll be in a negative way. We have to deal with this situation. And I think what happens, I grew up with Trayvon Martin's dad. Uh, he's a little older than us. We grew up in the same project house in East St. Louis. But I, I think what has to happen is, and, and this is the harsh reality of life, every story does not have a happy ending but we still have a God and we have to believe. And I think that is the hard part. And, 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 you, you look at Martin Luther King, he had to get out in front of that. Here's a guy that knew, I don't think I'll be on this earth for a long time. Can you imagine at any moment that you know that I'm about to go? That is a painful, scary feeling, but I still have to get out in front of this so a guy like Conzo Martin or, or Sandra Martin's mother can move forward. Then all of a sudden, a guy named Conzo Martin can move forward, and a guy named Mike Smith in Idaho can move forward. That is a painful, painful thing, but we have to get out in front of it. But we can't make the level of progress if we all are not. Coach, I have a final question here for me is, you know, everybody always wonders, you know, what can we do? What can we do? How can it change? In your opinion, what's the number one thing that as a society we can do to start moving in the right direction? We have to commit to solving the problem. We, we talk about it. We have to commit to t- solving the problem. We, we have to get in the community. And everybody has to talk about it. 60 white people talking about it. 50 black people. Everybody has to talk about it. And, 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 and Lord, the same thing I say to our players, in order for you to be successful, uh, it's going to be some uncomfortable times. 
But in order to get comfortable, we have to go through this uncomfortable stage. We have to hear certain things. I, I've been on the phone with at least at least ten guys that I know that are white guys that I have relationships with. How, what can I do better? What can I tell my players? What can I tell black people that I know? Help me understand certain things, or help me. Un- and I even ask them, uh, older white men, what, what do they see? I, I, I want to know it all because I want to be educated because I'm a student and I'm learning and I'm okay with learning. I have no problem with this. And the last thing I'll leave you with, and I think this is for all of us to understand, because when you say something that's so bad, think about this: the jungle is never a dangerous place if you know the trails. It's never dangerous, but and that's what we have to understand. We have to know what's going on. We have to get involved. That's Mizzou men's basketball coach Conzo Martin, an East St. Louis native and one hell of a human being. It's uh, an honor and a privilege, Coach, to be able to talk with you today, and it's an honor to be able to call you the head coach at the university that I went to school at. Um, Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We wish you and your family all the best, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking again soon, Coach. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's Mizzou men's basketball coach Conzo Martin here on Rips and BK. Listen, I know at times the audio quality wasn't great on that call, but I hope that you feel the same way that I do, that the content of the call certainly made it worth it. That That is a genuinely great human being that we just talked with. Um, Some great insight and, and great words of wisdom there. And, and I think it's, you know, it, words that we can all take in. We can all absorb. And I, I just... Very appreciative of his time coming on today. I think this thing that stands out to me about Conzo is the fact that he kind of mentioned it there. Listen, I was at the University of California when the Colin Kaepernick protests were taking place, and I didn't speak up then. And now I feel the need to do so. And I think that's that is what I talked about yesterday in our open, Jamie. Of mm-hmm. and I kind of asked him this question. I, I've, I my entire adult life. In the forefront of the news has been stories like this. We've seen it here locally at in both Ferguson and at Mizzou. We've seen it affect sports. We've seen it affect our real lives. It's, it's been omnipresent all the time. And so the difference to me is that there are people that are discussing things now, that are looking for real tangible change, that are looking for progress now, that weren't having those same conversations even a year, two, three, four years ago. This one feels different to me. Now, maybe it won't. Maybe there won't be any change that comes from this. I, I hope that that's not true. I hope sure that hope something meaningful change. comes from this because when you have people like Conzo Martin and you hear, the frankly, the pain in his voice and the calling that he feels to make sure that he's talking about this, that's where the change comes from. That's where the leadership comes from. A guy like that, it, I, I, I didn't say that lightly. It's an honor to call that guy the head, head coach at Mizzou. That, that guy is a hell of a human being, and I'm glad that he was able to uh, join us here today. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. We'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers is next. We're back to the Rivs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Another big thanks to Conzo Martin for joining us on the show. If you missed any of that, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, when the show concludes. Let's get to questions and answers, Jamie. Let's start with this one. What position, this comes from the 573, what position would you like to see the Cardinals take in the first round of the draft? I'll start on this one for you, Jamie. I never worry about this stuff. 
in the NFL, you want to draft for need sometimes because that guy can make an immediate impact. In the NBA, it's the same same thing, right? If you've got a great center, probably not going to take a center with the number one overall mm-hmm. draft pick because you know that guy's not going to get the playing time that he deserves. In baseball, and in some ways, I think this is the case in hockey as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong there. But in baseball, you just take the best player because that dude probably won't be making it to the major leagues for at least three years. And it's so hard to know what your major league roster is going to look like in three years. Pitching is always an option. But for the Cardinals, if there's even a great first baseman, third baseman, take that guy. So it, it, for me, it's not. it doesn't much matter who they take in the first round because these guys are so far off whenever they take them. Yeah, hockey can be a little position-specific. It depends on the club, right? depends where you're at. If you're in a complete rebuild or you're bottom of the league, then, yes, you're grabbing the best available player. If you're St. Louis Blues and you've got depth upon depth, then you're looking for a specific player at that point. If you need a defenseman, that's what you're looking for. If you need a goaltender, that's what you're looking for in the draft. And you'll bypass maybe some better players overall for the best player at that position. Um, for me, as far as the Cardinals go, with my hockey mentality, I look at it and I, I they're pretty solid around every position except for third base. Yep. And I know they got Tommy Edmond that can play third base. They've got all these. And, of course, we'd like to maybe sign a guy who can play third base or trade for a guy. But as of right now, I if I'm the GM, just thinking that, I'm like, let's draft a third baseman two, three years from now. Maybe we have a new star. I, I had a great conversation with Randy Flores last season, who's the scouting director for the Cardinals. And I asked that question because baseball does seem that way, where it's like, look, you just take the best player that's there. And he said, yes, but he said you also look at where your strengths are in your organization in terms of as a whole. So when you look at the Cardinals, the mantra with them has always been, well, they got a lot of pitching. They don't have any offense. They got no bats right now in their system. And you go back these last couple of years, they've drafted a Dylan Carlson, a Nolan Gorman, a, Del- a, Dev- a Delvin Perez. So if, if you're looking at it that way, you also want to look at it and say, well, if the Cardinals are drafted, go for another bat. So you can stockpile that because those teams that have pitching – want to stockpile bats, or if you don't have a lot of bats, you want to stockpile pitching. I would also add this, though, to go kind of counter to that. They're really good at scouting the pitchers. They are. And so, and they're really great at developing them as well. They, they haven't been as great at scouting or developing the bats. Yeah. There's just not that elite bat that's come through the system really this decade. Yeah. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, there might even be more value in doubling down. You're known for pitching. You're known for developing those starters. They come through and they end up getting to the big leagues and they're all great right away whenever they get here. Maybe you double down on that and say to yourself, this is what we're good at. This is what we're going to be known for. And we're going to continue developing and acquiring that pitching. Because they become trade pieces at the end of the day. If they're not going to make your club, you have stockpiled trade pieces so you can upgrade. So it's really the best player available is the one that makes the most sense. But you just got to find out where you're really weak at. Three years ago, you were really weak at bats. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Hey, Jamie, what do you think about the NBA's return to play format? Uh, I like it. Have you seen this this morning? Yeah, I I took a glance at it as I had a morning Keenan today. (laughs) 
And so, um, yeah, I like it. it. It reminds me a lot of the NHL. I mean, I think that the, the concept as a whole is the same. So, I, I, listen, I just want them to get back playing. I think that they're doing a good job of making sure everybody gets taken care of in this. 22 teams and, and you know, the format. Hey, whatever works, works. I just want them getting back playing. The thing that stands out to me is the fact that they're going to play, if I'm not mistaken, eight regular season games. Everybody's going to play eight regular season games to finish out this season. The play-in tournament will only happen if the nine seed is within four games of the eight seed I didn't see at that. the end of those I thought eight it was automatic. Games. So oh, yeah, my bad. I'll be very interested to see how that goes and if they end up going into that, the play-in tournament, if you will, between the eight and the nine seed, it'll be double elimination for the eight seed. So the eight seed, if they win right away, I believe they're going on to yeah. the second round in. or they're into the playoffs basically if they lose though the nine seed has to beat them again in order to be able to get that eight seed overall which i kind of like i think this is a pretty good setup the way that they have it the other piece of information that this just came out seconds ago jamie employees at the disney resort are going to have to maintain similar protocols to the players in disney world so from adrian wojnarowski Players and coaches will be allowed to golf and eat at outdoor restaurants in Disney. They will also be required to maintain social distancing, though. So it sounds like they're going to have, like, the ability to do a few things there, but it's all going to have to be within the Disney confines. You're not supposed to leave the resort. It's going to all be held there, and this is probably why they wanted to do it there. It's private It's private property, so they can close things off and basically just make this a campus of exclusively basketball players. Players. I think if you're looking at who's set up the best to succeed and actually be able to finish their season, it's probably the NBA. But how much do you think that it's going to be a struggle, Jamie, for them to be able to keep these players on that campus? Well, you know more about that campus than I do. I've been down there, I think, once in my life. And, uh, I've been down there a couple more. Yeah, you've been down there uh, quite a bit more. But... Listen, that's what I said yesterday when we talked about baseball's plan to be in multiple, multiple cities. I I just didn't like it. I don't think it's a great idea. I think the NHL is narrowing it down to two hub cities. We talked about that, Vegas being one of them, the other one to be determined. Um, NBA, to me, you got them all in Disney. I think their their success rate is going to be pretty good. I think they're going to try and normalize it as much as possible for these players. And once they do get into the playoff format, then just like the NHL, you're going to be losing teams every, what, week probably? Losing a couple teams. And so, you know, your numbers will go down. It'll be less cumbersome to keep track of everything. But I think they have the great setup. They literally have a compound uh, down in Disney that now they can they can kind of keep track of everybody. I'm really interested of what this does to the NHL because, you know, we've heard the NHL say that you guys are going to be in the hotel and that's it. But if you get NBA players who can go out to dinner on the on the area they are at and play golf, I wonder if NHL players are like, whoa, 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 if these guys have this, what about us? Yeah, but that's where the Disney comes in. Yeah, that's exactly. where the Disney mm-hmm. is the game changer on this one because... God, whoever came up with that idea was such a brilliant mind. The Dave day? Smith is a genius. Dave Smith. Can oh, you believe stop. this stuff? <laughs> Yahoo Sports. Only thing he's ever written is BK's idea. Anyways, uh, it was a great idea, BK. I think the one thing that I would add to this, I've got an idea for how the NBA can make it even better. We'll get to that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. ESPN.
with former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. I am Brandon Kylie on 101 ESPN. It's Rivers and BK. So we were just talking about the breaking news that it looks like the NBA's return to play plan is essentially in place. They're expected to have a vote tomorrow between the Board of Governors, which is the owners, and all the players, and this is going to get approved. So tomorrow, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be 22 teams. They're all going to be down in Orlando, which we've known for a while now, and there's going to be a play-in potentially for the 8 seed, between the 8 and the 9 seed. There's also one other piece to this puzzle that we have learned in the last few minutes, and that is the guys are going to be allowed to play golf. They're going to be allowed to go to some of the restaurants out in Disney World. Jamie, this is the one way that I think they can make this even better. Let's make a reality TV show out of this. Well, we said that. For, well, be careful here now, okay? Because we talked about <laughs> Disney when this all started. Yeah. And then, Jamie just looked like a disappointed parent oh, looking at me that, in I'm that moment. I'm still so mad right now because Thief Smith took your idea, our idea that day, and then we also went on to talk about... Hmm, you could do reality TV because you got all these guys in one spot and you follow certain players around, all this stuff. I think it would be a genius idea. Give fans access to, you know, what they're doing, uh, their shoot-arounds, their whatever, their round of golf. Their That's the one that I think you can really play with here. What have we just seen that worked? It was the foursome oh, yeah. between Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning. Just put together a bunch of foursomes between these players. Like, imagine you're going... You think LeBron can golf? I would think he'd be okay. Yeah? I would would think there's really nothing that LeBron can't do. I mean, it's a good point. I just, I'm thinking, because I know Vladdy Tarasenko, he's not much of a golfer. A couple guys on the Blues team that don't, they're not golfers. They just don't like it. So, imagine a situation where you've got LeBron James, uh, let's go with James Harden, um, who are some other gotta stars put that Steph can do Curry this? in there? Uh, he's not going to be in the playoffs, though. That's the problem. You've got to oh, have guys yeah. that are going to be in this bubble. Let's go Joel Embiid. He's certainly a oh. character. You could get a little personality there. And then yeah. maybe Zion Williamson. Or Giannis. Those four guys. Or, 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 or Giannis. Leonard. No, never nah, mind. Not interested in that. But like, you've got those four guys doing a, a foursome together on the golf course. And now we get to watch the interactions throughout. They're mic'd up. They're having conversations about whatever. I think that could sell. I think you could have something there of those guys on the sponsor day. too. Absolutely. You could have like on the fifteenth hole of it just a par three, just for fun. You could say, "Oh, this par three closest to the pin, sponsored by Nike." You and, know, and there's no sport better suited for that than the NBA. Because as much as we talk about football, and football is a part of public public consciousness, maybe more so than any other sport in the country, and baseball locally is as relevant as it's ever been, the NBA has the most stars. There's more star power in the NBA than there is in any other sport. So you've got more of these guys that can produce an audience if they are involved in something like this. I, I think that's something they should absolutely jump on right away. If they're not willing to mic their players up on the court, mic them up off of the court. And this is one way that they could do it, especially when you're at a resort that is in part known for its golf course. I what other stuff brilliant. do they have on that, on the resort? 
Like, obviously, I know they have the basketball courts and stuff like that. They've, They've got, got the putt-putt. They've got... Okay, so that's fun. Maybe that's the route. That's fun. Maybe, you know? maybe for the guys that aren't real golfers, we get them to sign up for a putt-putt tournament. And that's that's the angle that you take with them. Yeah, and I know they have soccer fields, right? Oh, yeah, they've got all like, that You know stuff. when guys get injured, but maybe it's like the penalty kick. You could have a home run derby. They've got the, the Braves training facilities oh, right, down too. there. They play for spring training down there. So. It used to be like summer camp for some of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, they've got a water park over there. I think it's shut down right now. But I would imagine. Maybe you open up open it up for a day for these guys, and you just see what, that in, what, what comes out of that. Do you think, um, will they have access to the amusement? park itself the rides i don't know because the, the amusement park is opening up in a couple of, or in a few weeks now okay. so i i doubt they're going to be allowed to go there because that'd be kind of fun too to throw a couple of guys on like the, a big roller coaster and be like he's lebron or someone just screaming the whole time you could do like a an after hours or a before hours where they get to go out there whenever it's closed to uh, the public and so maybe you're you're able to record something that way that'd be funny honestly I, something as simple as putting them down at a dinner table while they eat and miking them up that would be conversation pieces and doing it like after a game or something like that yeah. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 636 how would teams allow this kind of a sh- distraction during the playoffs though well first of all they're playing an eight game regular season so there's still that as well that we've got to take into consideration and also didn't we just watch the michael jordan documentary where he was playing a (laughs) round of 18 with the other team the day day before before. (laughs) and in this situation guys let's be honest you're going to want your team to be mentally healthy right and if you're sitting there you can't just put them in their hotel rooms and be confined and then these guys are going to go berserk like that so if i'm a coach you know what? As long as my guys are bringing it on the ice, on the court, on the field, whatever it is, go do your thing. Yeah, get your escape from reality here right now. Go play around round of golf. Go play dodgeball. Whatever it is, go do your thing. But just, you know, once we're done with that, like, be ready to dial it back in. So I don't have an issue with it. What would be the sport that you would most want to see these guys play? Is, is it golf? Is that because that's the most translatable? Like, so many people play golf in their personal life? Hockey. That would be fun. I, I don't think there's any ice down in Orlando, uh, though, is there? I mean, look, Disney's got to have yeah, capabilities. That, that's another one where, like, as much as the distraction, I, I don't buy that. There is some liability with playing hockey. Yeah, true. <laughs> I don't mean, like, a full-on, like, game. It'd just be fun to watch such big human beings. I would imagine a lot of them have never skated before. Skating around on the ice. And, like, that would be, imagine, like, a guy like Shaq back in the day, throwing the blades on and, oh, like, God. yikes. That would be funny. So, of course, hockey would be funny for me. I think it would be entertaining. Uh, But, yeah, I like the golf idea. I like it a lot. I think golf's the best way to go because you get the conversations. It's a sport that you have some competitive juices, but you also have the opportunity for them to get pissed off at themselves. That's where humor comes out. You know, where Charles Barkley misses a swing and gets pissed off at himself that's where you get the humor and the good television from. So I think golf's the way to go. The self-deprecation in golf is better than any other sport. And you you can have a horrible hole going, but then one good shot, and we know that totally brings you back in, right? So so no matter who you are or how good or how bad you are, you always have that possibility of hitting that one shot, and then everybody, you know, then you're like, that makes your day. We can relate with people playing golf, even professional athletes playing golf, better than we can relate with them playing anything else. Because it takes away the athletic factor of it in a lot of ways. Like, if they're playing beach volleyball, for instance, these dudes can still jump up through the air in well, a way that none of us can. Have, like, their belly button for some <laughs> exactly. of them. Exactly. So, it still looks like they're doing a different thing than any of us are capable mm-hmm. of. 
Golf is different. It's you against the course. It's less so about your natural athleticism and more so about your actual skill and ability on the golf course. So I think that would be the most enjoyable thing to be able to watch them play. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 12-13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Is Alex Petrangelo worthy of winning the Norris Trophy this year? The regular season is officially concluded. Should he be in legitimate consideration as a finalist for this award? At least one national expert says yes. We'll explain next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's elite, and he's elite because he does everything really well. He skates really well. He's physical when it's time to be. He's defensive. He contributes offensively. And, you know, as it stands right now, he has a chance to be the all-time leading point getter for defensemen for the St. Louis Blues. And they've had a lot of really good to some great defensemen in their in their franchise history. So open up that checkbook in terms of whatever makes sense for Chantel and the organization. That's a key identity piece, organizational piece. And uh, I can see a huge void in the event that he's not there. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Kevin Weeks on the show a few weeks ago. Is Alex Petrangelo worthy of the North Norris Trophy? It's a question that Greg Wyshynski went through as he was kind of going through all of his ideas or options for the NHL awards this year. Because the season's concluded. Now mm-hmm. it's time to talk award season for what these guys did in the regular season. Now, Wyshynski did not decide that Petrangelo is in his top three. He went with John Carlson, Roman Yossi, Victor Hedman. Those were the top three for him. He viewed Petro, though, as a potential snub out of this list he said basically maybe i should have considered him more but i didn't have him here uh dimitri filipovich am i pronouncing that one correctly said that he would give the trophy the norris trophy to yossi but he had petrangelo second on his ballot saying that he was the second best defenseman this year 52 points in 70 games he skated an average of 24 minutes on average I wonder from your perspective, Jamie, I trust your hockey acumen. I know I'm the hockey guy, but I'll trust your hockey acumen. Do you believe, in your opinion, that Petrangelo is worthy of being a finalist for the Norris Trophy this season? Yeah, I do. I actually do. You know, I think that, first of all, he was trending in the right direction. When we had to pause, Petro was playing some of his best hockey that I've ever seen in his career. Uh, 16 goals puts him right up at the top of the list for goals scored by a defenseman. I believe there's only one other guy, Wierenski, that had more goals. But Petro was on pace for a 20-goal season as a defenseman, which is pretty incredible considering that he handles a lot of minutes against the opposition's top lines. And if you're ahead by a goal or down by a goal, usually Alex Petrangelo is on the ice to close it out for you. And I think that he's a huge part of the St. Louis Blues. And Victor Hedman, to me, is the best defenseman in the NHL. Okay. He's six foot five. He skates like he's much like Colton Pareko, very mobile, agile, big man. He plays a ton. He's got great offensive instincts. He's great penalty killer. I just, to me, I, I everybody wants to get on this Roman Yossi train. I'm not there. I watch him play. I think he's got, I think he's a fantastic player. Don't get me wrong. Okay. But I, I'm just not there. If I have the choice between, through two defensemen, and it's Hedman or Yossi, I'm going Hedman. If I have the choice between Yossi and Petrangelo, I'm going with Petrangelo. That's just the way I'm looking at it right now. Now, the guy that's probably going to win it this year is John Carlson. Yeah. 
which he's gotten a lot better, okay? he's His all-around game has gotten better. He also plays on a team that is just absolutely nuclear-powered with offense. You know, you got Alex Ovechkin and Backstrom and Carlson quarterbacks to power play uh, for the Washington Capitals. He sees at 60 assists on the 75 points. Unheard of, really, for a defenseman. And, and there were still lots of games left to go for the Capitals. But my top three... Uh, if I was to set it up right now, I would have Carlson, Hedman, and Petrangelo would be my three finalists for the Norris Trophy. You know, the unfortunate part, and we've talked a lot about this, Rivs, you and I, and I've talked a lot about this with other players as well, is, is the voters look at the Norris Trophy as the defenseman who has the most points. Yeah. You know, Eric Carlson gets it. Brent Burns gets it. Um, P.K. Subban has won it before, which is an absolute joke. They don't look at it as the guy who can play all around. And the problem with... John Carlson is, you know, he plays a lot of offense. He doesn't play a lot of defense in terms of penalty kill minutes, whereas Petrangelo, Hedman, Yossi are playing power play, penalty kill, five on five in every situation. I'm surprised you said Hedman, though, because I would have thought you would have said Yossi. To be honest, watching Yossi play, his transition numbers are really good, and he plays in every aspect of the game. Now, he doesn't score... I think as much as Victor Hedman. Hedman has got pretty good offensive numbers. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's no doubt that Petrangelo is a snub. I think he was snubbed last year. If it wasn't for his injury, he would have been a top three contender. Yeah, the one thing that Hedman that you have to, that I look at, too, is the difference that this player makes on the ice. And if you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, what are they without Victor Hedman? Well, they're lost. Yeah, And no. that's been proven. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just to watch this guy, he's a machine out there. Uh, 29 years old, right in the prime of his career as a defenseman. Uh, you know, to me, he's the biggest difference maker if you remove him from that lineup. Now, you know, see, like I said, I don't have anything uh, like we're splitting hairs here. No, right? they're so, all great. Yeah, they're all great players. I just think that Alex Petrangelo, in my opinion, having gone all the way to the Stanley Cup final game seven, winning it and then following it up with a short off season with everything going on. And coming back the following year and having 52 points in 70 games, 16 goals, logging just over 24 minutes a game, that's pretty damn impressive. The fact that he's the captain of the team that is first in the Western Conference has to matter. It has to. I, I like. I, I know maybe that is simplifying things too much, but when you are the captain for a team that just won the Stanley Cup, there is a natural inclination for a letdown the following season. There just is. You had the summer of partying and celebrating, mm-hmm. and here locally, specifically, the first time that you've done it in franchise history. This is 50 years of waiting for that moment, and then you achieved it. And to be able to come back the following season and to follow that up with what is going to go down as another fantastic regular season in the books of being the number one seed in a really tough Western Conference, that matters to me. And so, yes, that is a team accomplishment, not an individual accomplishment, but the team accomplishment was only possible because of the individual accomplishment of what Alex Petrangelo was this year. I'd be curious for both of you guys, because you've watched a lot of Petro, and I was gone for a year. I'm not as much of a hockey guy as you are. Do you think this is the peak of what we'll see from Petrangelo? Is is there more that we could get from Petro in the future than what we're seeing from him right now? Because this is about as good as we've seen from him. I think it's only going to get better over the next two, three, four years. And I always reference Nick Lidstrom and Al McInnes and look at their careers after the age of 30 years old. They figured it out. And I I look at Alex Petrangelo in the way he evolved last season and what he's brought to the table this season. He continues to evolve. Like if you look at his offensive awareness this season alone, it's a whole other level. 
hits a whole other level that we haven't seen from him before. So guess what that means, guys? He's figuring things out still. At the age of 29, he's figuring it out. And now he's dominating in certain situations. He's become the quarterback of the power play. The power play has been the best that it's been in a number of years Mm -hmm. this year with Alex Petrangelo at the point quarterbacking it. So I think, to me, this guy, uh, turning 30 soon, he's got three years probably where he's going to continue to get better. He's just only going to get better. And then, of course, it'll be from there, 34, 35, 36. We'll see. Hopefully no injuries, knock on wood, all that stuff. But to me, guys, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I still think there's more to come. Uh, injuries are the biggest thing. To me, defensemen are like fine wine, and this is a compliment to you, Jamie Rivers. But, boxed wine, uh, in my uh, case. <laughs> boxed wine. But, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. You look at Nick Lidstrom, look at Al McKenna's, look at Chris Pronger, who probably yeah. played his best hockey when he was away from the Blues in Edmonton, Anaheim, and Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. As long as you stay away from injuries... At 35-36, Alex Petrangelo, in my eyes, is still a top two, if not a top four defenseman on the St. Louis Blues roster. But what you said about Victor Hedman plucking him off of the team, they're lost without them. Let me ask you this. Out of the three defensemen, Yossi, Petrangelo, Hedman, who's in the second worst position of plucking that defenseman away? Tampa's in the worst position because they don't have depth at D. Mm -hmm. I would say say St. Louis is in a worse position than Nashville if you pluck that top defenseman out of their group. Right now, yeah. Right now, because the Blues have depth, but they don't have as much depth as Nashville does. And I think that shows you how Norris-worthy that defenseman is. Well, you just isolate one one thing this year, okay? And, And it's only one season, and we have lots more of this guy to get a look at. But you signed Justin Falk, okay? And... I didn't think it was a replacement for Petro, but a lot of people viewed it as the successor, right? Here we go. We're setting it up. I think we realized quickly, very quickly, not just Justin Falk, even with Colton Pareko, as as incredible as he's been, he still doesn't have that offensive awareness yet of an Alex Petrangelo. He doesn't have that leadership yet of an Alex Petrangelo. So you're looking at that, and if you take Petro out of the lineup, who are you putting in his spot? Yeah. You can divvy it up by committee, but right now, man for man, player for player, you don't have that guy yet that just slides yeah. in. And it took takes five, over. six years for Petro to get that confidence. And well, you're he's looking 29 at, years yeah, old now. Well, and he was in the league at, what, 23? <laughs> yeah, and you talked, yeah. to, you talked to Keith Kachuk or Barrett Jackman, who played with him as a rookie. He was a great player, but he needed that confidence. And defensemen take longer than forwards usually do. So, I mean, you're looking at going into the fifth year next year of Colton Pareko, so that's about the time. But still, it took that long for Petro to get that confidence. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Man, that was some good Blues talk right there. Oh, that was some oh, good Blues talk excited. right there. Now let's bring us back to reality. Ken Rosenthal, some breaking oh, news in yeah. Major League Baseball. <laughs> MLB rejected the union's proposal for a 114-game season and said that it will not be sending a counteroffer. The league said that it has started talks with the owners about playing a shorter season without fans and that it is ready to discuss additional ideas with the union. So that is the latest from Mr. Major Optimism. <laughs> Just bringing it down. What did you say yesterday, BK? Baseball is the one league that has the opportunity to start and finish? I think they have. And I, <laughs> we'll find the audio. <laughs> 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 
So you guys are focusing on the fact that the MLB rejected the union's proposal and said it will not send a counter. Here it is. I am focused on the league said that it has started talks with the owners about playing a shorter season without fans and that it is ready to discuss additional ideas with the union. You know what this is going to be? 54. <laughs> Quick math, everyone. 114. Oh, this could be a middle. while. 82. 82 game season. I think we've we've heard that number a couple of times. Mm-hmm. 50 games, what they propose. They pay in full for that. They defer the final 32 games. I think we've got our, we've got our deal. We've got our deal. Yeah, this is how we're going to do it. The additional idea is, hey, you know that money between the 50 and the 82, those 32 games? We'll just pay that over the next few years. Let's get this done, Major League Baseball. I hope so. We got to get it. We got to get a deal done. We got to get baseball back. Fourth of July is coming. We now know that owners want to play no further than October 31st. The Diamondbacks owner came out yesterday and said that the deadline for the end of the season is October 31st. We will not play into November. Wow. So Arizona know- won't play in the playoffs. So that oh. doesn't really matter. Ooh, that yeah. was right. That, I mean, come was a little feisty. Come on. A little feisty. Yeah, they, that. But I kind of get it. Well, let's be honest. You shouldn't be talking if you're not going to be relevant. Yeah. Just because you got Madison Bumgarner doesn't mean you're going to be playing in the World I Series. I forgot that Madison Bumgarner is a Diamondback. That's how long we've had no baseball. I forgot Mad Madison Bum. Bumgarner is a Diamondback. I had Mad Bum the other night. Not good. What? Mad Bum. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Guiley. It's Ribs and BK. Coming up next, we'll talk with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, about Alex Petrangelo. What's he think? Is this? beginning of what we're going to see from Alex Petrangelo moving forward. We'll ask Chris Kerber about that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK. So Ken Rosenthal just tweeted this out. We're going to discuss this here in a minute. The ideas MLB wants to to discuss with the union are about resuming the season without fans. I didn't read that improperly. The ideas MLB wants to discuss with the union are about resuming the season without fans. I thought the entire premise upon which these discussions were being had was the understanding that there would be no fans in the stands. And suddenly this is now going to take center stage of, hey, there's going to be no fans in the stands. Do you guys understand that union? Mm -hmm. Like, What are we doing here? I'm lost. We'll we'll get to that. I I feel like there's got to be something that I'm missing with this. We'll get to that coming up here in just a little bit. But Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. Curbs, what's going on, man? I heard on the ribs or the Rizzuto show earlier today, you're putting in a bowling alley in your house. No, no, those guys have wild imaginations there, Burger <laughs> King. They, uh, they, they, no, no, just uh, just doing some renovations in the house and was working on a couple things and missed their phone call. So I was I was late for the date on that one this morning. So now, Curbs, if you did put a bowling alley in your basement okay would you go with the traditional 10 pin or would you go with like the the, like up in canada it's real popular to have the five pin with the smaller balls i don't know which would be your preference well i listen if i would have to think about it because my wife is from uh western massachusetts so candle pin bowling is obviously very big up there in the northeast so if i did go with a bowling alley uh, I would probably go with the traditional way that we all know bowling, but uh, I might grab a set of 10-pin, and that way you could do both. 
We're talking to Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the Blues here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. All right, Kerbs, I want to talk a little actual hockey with you because earlier today, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN went through his choice for each of the NHL awards, and he put together his three finalists and then obviously gave the winner that he would choose as well. For the Norris Trophy, he did not have Alex Petrangelo in his top three, but said he would basically be the next one up for him. Do you feel like Alex Petrangelo should be a legitimate finalist for the trophy this year? And do you think this is the best we've seen from Petro yet? Uh, I think Alex Petrangelo, having entered the prime of his career, is playing excellent hockey. I think the thing that is going to prevent Alex Petrangelo from winning the Norris trophy is the point total. Uh, And, you know, and that's unfortunate because I do believe He's a good enough defenseman to win the Norris Trophy. Obviously, in his first couple of years, we saw him get a top-five vote and, and and a top-four vote. Maybe even was a finalist one year. I can't remember. But I know if it wasn't a finalist, it was, he was top-four. Um, I just think when you have Victor Hedman and Eric Carlson, and Eric Carlson had things go, and he, he would have set a franchise record for the Capitals. And you've got that scenario. I just don't think the voters are going to get past the point total when you're ending up seeing a 30, 35 difference total in points, and those guys are logging 27 minutes a game, playing in every scenario like Alexander Petr- or Alex Petrangelo is too. So um, I do think he's worthy of it. I do think the first part of this season as well, uh, without it shredded out in my mind, he could have been a front runner, if, if not a uh, an easily easily a finalist. I think when the points started to dry up a little bit. You know, in, in that maybe that last third to last quarter of the games, uh, that probably knocked him out of the mix. And again, fair or not, uh, that plays a, that you know that that plays a role in it. All right, Curb. So that leads me to my uh, my first question of the day for you is: Is it time for the NHL to have a different award? Like uh, people have bounced around the idea of like the Bobby Orr Award for the highest scoring defenseman, and then the Norris Trophy for the best all around defenseman. Is it time for the NHL to do this, Jamie? It is. It's it's way overdue, and we've been saying this for years. And I just. I don't understand where this, uh, you know, the lock to tradition or something on this go- gets to. It's because, look, I, you have you have an award that gets handed out for the top goal scorer in the league. You have an award that gets doled out for the top point getter. Those are two different things. Okay, you've got an award for the league MVP. You've got an award for the best defensive forward in the Selkie. Trophy. Ryan O'Reilly, the reigning winner of that. For the life of me, I cannot understand, with as many smart people as there are around this game, how you haven't figured out how to do this. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you give me the chance to take Alex Petrangelo or Eric Carlson or Alex Petrangelo or Brent Burns, I'm taking that. I'm sorry, um, uh, PK Subban, right? And those guys won three Norris trophies in a row between the two of them. I'm taking Alex Petrangelo and not even looking back at it. So uh, so I, I agree with you completely. But look, you've got an award for the defenseman that scores the most points. And I think if you did that, you would take the pressure off people feeling that that has to carry extra weight and then really get into the best defenseman. And in all fairness and in all honesty, and I get to vote uh, by virtue of, uh, of being a broadcaster. The Broadcasters Association is the one that votes on the uh, – 
the Jack Adams for coach of the year, right? And I take great pride in, in, in that privilege. Uh, I, I would I would have no problem if all of these league-wide awards ended up going to the hands of the players and let them get voted in that way. Uh, that, that's another aspect that I, I would I would have no argument changing up. Now, Curbs, uh, you know, I, Alex and I and BK and I were talking in the break, too, and I was looking at all the stats, and, and to your point, you know, I don't know at what point it became the sexy thing to give the highest point guy the Norris Trophy, but I really would love to see a stat in the future, and, and let me know what you think of this, to where you'd have total average ice time in the last two minutes of a hockey game. I think that that would be very relevant in this case because you got a guy like John Carlson with the Washington Capitals. Yeah, he's running away with it point-wise, but how much ice time would he have at the end of a game, last two minutes of the game, as opposed to an Alex Petrangelo? Do you think a stat like that would be relevant? Well, yeah, I, I it would be relevant. It's just would the voters, if we keep it on the theme of these awards, would the voters be willing to accept it? You know, and obviously now they're looking back, they're looking past plus minus to a degree. But here's the other thing. I mean, look, if you're, if you're looking at, if you're looking at a defenseman in the National Hockey League and he's plus 25, plus 30, plus 35, right? And then it, it's pretty hard to say, even though that is not a, we, we've gone well beyond that stat from an analytic standpoint. But the reality of it is, if the other guy you're looking at is plus five, ah, it's hard to look past that much of a difference, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I do think that some of those stats are, are would be terrifically helpful in terms of breaking it down, you know. But one of the challenges with that, too, is, you know, you mix in the penalty-killing stats. That's important. Does somebody value, you know, if, I, if I'm looking at a guy that's averaging 26 and a half minutes a game, right, and he's only averaging one minute a game per power play, but he's averaging four minutes a game on the penalty kill, is that more valuable to a guy that has those special team numbers flipped, you know, to a guy that's only getting one minute? I mean, don't forget, and this has been my rallying cry on this Norris Trophy vote for a long time. When P.K. Subban and when Eric Carlson won their Norris Trophies, go look at their average shorthanded ice time a game. Neither of them were even in the top 100 <laughs> in the league. Okay, now, and, and at one point, Eric Carlson, the year he won it, he was not used as a penalty killer. How is a Norris, as, as great of a point total as it is to get to 70, 80 points as a defenseman, and to keep this in mind, that is an amazing stat because the Blues have not had a player get 80 points since Pavel Dimitra had his 93, right? Back in, what, 2003? Yeah. So uh, they haven't had a forward get to 80 points. So we're talking about defensemen now with these guys that are getting that point level total. I'm not trying to take away from that in any way, shape, or form. But you do have to – I mean, you cannot vote for a guy for the Norris Trophy that that doesn't penalty kill, can you? I mean, I, I think that's sacrilege in my book to, to give the top defenseman award in the league to a guy that's not on your penalty kill. I, I, I can't fathom that thought process. I agree with you. We're talking to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Kerber, joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, I did want to ask you a follow-up question about Petrangelo, and this is the last thing that I've got for you today. Do you think this is the peak of Petrangelo? I asked this of Jamie earlier, and he said he thinks this is only the beginning, that he's about to start the uh, enter the prime of his career. What do you think about this? Do you think that we're about to see the best of Petro after this season? 
Uh, I think he is in the prime of his career, and uh, that also means I do think that, yes, you can get better even during and in the prime of your career. And Jamie would know this better than any either one of us, uh, Brian, is, is basic, Brandon, is that you yeah, – if you talk to Al McKinnis, if you talk to Chris Pronger, if you talk to Chris Chelios, if you talk to Nicholas Lidstrom, you talk to the greats that have played this game, you talk to Larry Robinson, yeah, there are guys that come on the scene. There are guys that, that, that you know, that can have an impact early, and we just were talking about some of them. But look at when these guys become the most impactful in their career. Year 10, year 11, year 12, year 15 – because that's it, just the smarts and, and learning how to play that position, I'm constantly told, is the hardest position to, to learn and develop in, in, in the league. And um, if not a skating position, I guess I, I never seem to throw the goalie in any of that stuff. So to me, to me uh, I, I wouldn't say it's at the tip of the iceberg, but you're finding out exactly how truly good and controlling of a game he is. And frankly... Which jumping off the page at you is when you're talking about that about Alex Petrangelo, you got to look at the minutes being logged by Colton Pareko, who just finished year five in the National Hockey League, this being year five, and uh, and, and and look at how he's starting to grow into a pretty dominant force in the league too. So I, you know, it takes these guys a little while to do it, and so no, I don't think we've seen him peak. I don't even uh, I, I I wouldn't even go near that. I, I think you're seeing him playing where he's understanding what his best can be and how impactful it is. Most importantly, guys, you're seeing with a lot of these guys, they now know what the team means. Like you can win a Stanley cup with getting 50 points as a defenseman. And you'd rather have that than win the Norris trophy. That's Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the blues. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. You'll hear him tomorrow night on play Gloria, the St. Louis blues run to the cup, uh, run to the cup. Pre-game starts at six play by play at seven curbs. We always appreciate the time, man. We'll talk to you soon. You got it guys. And Hey, uh, as Jamie probably mentioned, we've got uh, the behind the bench show tonight from six to seven and Jamie's going to join us. We're, we're, we're going to talk about kind of the role of leadership not only running a business, but in hockey with uh, with all the different issues of, of today, both health and social. It's a uh, hopefully an enjoyable hour for people tonight. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to that, Curbs. We appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Okay, guys. Have a great day. Absolutely. That's uh, Chris Kerber joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. As he said, you can hear Behind the Bench with Chris Kerber. Just Chris Kerber. Jamie might be on there as well. From 6 to 7 tonight on 101 ESPN. And tomorrow night and Friday, 101 ESPN presents Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the cup. Here are two classic Blues games from the 2019 historic run to the cup. And these are two big ones on Thursday night. Blues versus Bruins, Stanley Cup game number five on Friday. It is Blues versus Bruins game number seven. I hear you're probably going to enjoy the ending to that one. Pre-game starts at six. Play-by-play at seven. It is Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the cup. And it is brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. We'll get into the junk drawer coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. Jamie just told me to get serious. <laughs> <laughs> so, can, never heard can that we before. please get serious? serious here? I've got a show to do. 
Ribs, what happened to you? I don't know. <laughs> Who am I, I doing the show with? Oh, by the way, we're doing the junk drawer. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Jamie, what you got for us today? All right, so uh, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, I think, where South Africa has banned alcohol right now during the, the pandemic. Not sure exactly what their reasons are. I didn't go diving into their laws. Sure, or something about, you know, alcohol's bad for your immune system. Probably some along those lines. We also discussed how there was a group of gentlemen that got arrested for breaking into a morgue to drink embalming fluid. Yep. And we got a giggle out of that. Well, guess what? South Africa's back in the news again. God. Back in the news. And apparently, um, a group of gentlemen dug a tunnel. A long ways, tunneled up into the liquor store from underneath. (laughs) And they got in there and grabbed a whole bunch of alcohol uh, and were actually caught celebrating inside of the liquor store. Oh, no. So they they, they accomplished it. So these people went through the painstaking, time-consuming challenge of tunneling underneath and actually accomplished their goal mm-hmm. of reaching the liquor store, got into the liquor store from underneath, and then the way that they were caught was because they started celebrating prematurely. Yes, they were oh. sitting there drinking and they had whiskey, brandy, gin, cider, vodka, beer. Like, they were having a party. There's nothing worse place. than premature celebration. This You definitely don't want it. It gets messy sometimes. Now, everyone hates it. Can you ever imagine in a world... Because you like your craft beer, you like your whiskey, you like mm-hmm. your yeah, old-fashioned, you've got a whole bunch of different versions you're going. You're very uh, particular with what you drink, and I, I appreciate that. Coming from a box wine guy to, you, you, uh, you know, being a higher guy. Hey, listen, my favorite one. beer is a cold one, but it's a good point. I have a preference once we get past that. So my question to you both is, do you ever see a scenario where maybe you're not digging the tunnel to get up into the uh, into the liquor store, but maybe you're like, ah, I'm going to follow my buddy down this tunnel and go grab a beer? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, cor- the correct answer to that question is just a resounding yes. Yeah, I will yeah. absolutely follow. Now, we've talked about this. I'm certainly not manly enough to be able to dig my own tunnel. It's <laughs> not something that I'm capable of. But you let your buddy do it. Absolutely. Jamie, if you were to do this, and we know that Alex is a bit of a man over there, former pest control uh, man himself. If you guys were to dig the hole while I sit back, throwing back a couple of lemonades, yeah, I'll come through there with uh, with you to the end, and we'll go ahead and throw a little vodka into that lemonade when we get to the other side. So part B to this, how long without alcohol would it take you to follow that guy down the tunnel? This is when you find out if you're an alcoholic or not. Hey, it's that's basically not unfair. Yeah. That's not fair. Yeah. Rivers is trying to find out if we need to sign you up for AA right now. So no, previously, no, my answer maybe. to this would have been a while. Okay. Pandemic. Quarantine has a... Uh, Quarantine's has, taken a whole... It's got a headlock has, on me, too. Trust me. It has changed some things in the Kylie consumption habits. Let's yes. put it that way. Uh, one beer has become two. Two beers has become two plus maybe a whiskey. Oh. And, you know, that's kind of how things have gone lately. And then you get to the weekend and it's just like, let's try to forget Do everything. Do you even recognize the weekend anymore? Like, no. it's like, it's all just... 
the same. Yeah, it's dumb. Not, not really. Not really, frankly. Somebody says, BK, you got to be the one on the lookout. That's a good point. I can have a very significant role here. That's a, a big very role, significant though. role. You think yeah, you can handle the lookout the guy? Can't get rattled. Though. That. If the lookout guy gets rattled, then you're all screwed. Well, yeah, do you no, feel I'm like not, I'm going to get rattled? I'm not trying to shoot yeah, you down. I do, actually. <laughs> yeah. If, like, cops come walking by with their guns, oh, yeah, I you guys feel are screwed. Yeah, that, you guys are done. You know, that, all of a sudden, you're going to be a shadow. Officer, officer, they're down there. That's not a lookout. That's a snitch. Yeah, exactly. There's a good job. Yeah. What do, what do snitches get, Rivs? Oh, they get them stitches. That's it. Snitches get stitches. Darn right. So my boys said that to each other one day. Did they really? I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, what are you, the tough streets of Cottleville? Like, what are you doing right now? He's like, he's a snitch. And he looks over, he says, snitches get stitches. Those, I'm like, oh, my God. Those streets in Cottleville are tough. Yeah. Yeah. They're rough, man. Yeah. They're rough. That's poor, what I've heard. Poor Rivers, boys. <laughs> So we've got a pandemic going on, and uh, there's been a lot of recommendations as to how we can say, stay safe during all of this, right? Well, there's a new one. There's a new study that has been published in Internal Medicine. And they suggest that if you are going to have sex during this quarantine, uh, you should try to do so safely. No, I'm not talking about using protection. I'm talking about a different kind of protection. They suggest that if you're having sex with people other than those that you are quarantined with, you should wear a mask while doing so. Oh, I thought you meant maybe have them face the wall. Uh, probably that as well. That might be better. Facing right? away from no. one another would be would be we one way. We could face away from one another. One of them would have to face the other at well, some point. I, there's other, mm, yeah, not necessarily. necessarily. I mean, not necessarily, I guess. But I just figured, you know, we'd do it where one person's looking straight into the wall, and then there's no risk. Listen, I would have to wear the mask then, though. And is it a leather mask? The first thing I thought of when you said that is is the <laughs> don't think I don't think that's oh yeah no that doesn't qualify no wrong leather, mask leather mask with the zipper damn it I told yeah. Jeff Burton wrong mask <laughs> of course he's gonna did you yeah. at least use handcuffs the fuzzy ones I mean yeah. it's not totally real you just wanted a little playful boy where did we go I don't know what where, where are so we so here's to, 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 to my points on this finish the story well, there is okay. point to this okay <laughs> that, that was the story um, to my point on this if you're somebody who's having sex right now with a random person that you're not quarantined with I don't feel like that's the type of person that's going yeah. to listen to your suggestion that hey maybe you should also wear a mask during that's that good encounter point. good point the only thing I thought of when BK just said that <laughs> was in Naked Gun where Leslie Nielsen, he said, I believe in protection. And then he had the whole hazmat suit on. Yes. That's all I thought of. Yes. Said, and a good question here from our text line. Um, do paper bags count? I don't know. I mean, I think it'd be hard to breathe, maybe for hyperventilating. So we've heard a lot about cloth. Cloth, cloth. is the, the go-to, right? You're supposed to have a filter in these things, but I feel like we've just kind of passed <laughs> right through that. Like it's would, a, would a sock in the mouth count? I mean, it's it's about the droplets, yeah. right? That's what so they suggest. It's about the droplets. In the mouth. I mean, we all do that, right? No. What about the ball? The ball. I think the ball would have. It, you'd have to get out of the yeah. side. Yeah. You probably have to have the mask over that. And you have to tighten that ball down, good though. Make sure that there's no leakage. That's what she said. That's Jamie Rivers. Yikes. What are we doing? <laughs> Brandon <laughs> Kylie. It's Rosen BK on 101 ESPN. Let's talk to Danny Mack. He's gonna profession he's gonna be a real professional. Major League Baseball has apparently rejected the union's 114 game regular season proposal. They do not plan to counteroffer this. According to Joel Sherman of the New York Post, they're sitting on essentially implementing a 48 to 54 game season for full prorated salaries. 
and now Ken Rosenthal adds that the ideas MLB wants to discuss with the union now are about resuming the season without fans. I thought that we had already talked about the fact that there was going to be no fans. I, I've got a lot of questions <laughs> about all of this. Danny Mac's going to try to answer them for us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Florida Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crippen celebrity line where we are happy to be joined by Dan McLaughlin. He's the Cardinals broadcaster and he's the host of Scoops with Danny Mac weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Dan, how you doing today, man? I am doing well. How about you guys? Doing okay. Um... Saw this tweet from Ken Rosenthal that has me a little confused. I got to be honest, Stan. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but Ken Rosenthal tweeted, MLB has rejected the union's proposal for a 114-game season and said that it will not send a counteroffer. The league now says that it will start talks with the owners about playing a shorter season without fans and that it is ready to discuss additional ideas with the union. He followed that up by suggesting the ideas MLB wants to discuss with the union are about resuming the season without fans. (laughs) Dan, I I thought That's that was shocker, kind uh, I, of I, I didn't think we we're going to have full stadiums, but um... <laughs> had we not discussed this yet? This this wasn't on the table. Well, you know, some of that stuff has not been agreed upon, and you know, for instance, like the 114 game proposal that was issued by the players late on Sunday, that had not been formally rejected by MLB, I guess, until this morning. So while it seemed to be a foregone conclusion that they would do that. Um, it, it wasn't a formality, so now it is a formality, and you start looking forward to maybe the universal implementation of a 50-game season, which could happen, and the players could block at that. You know, from the players' perspective, the 114-game season that was proposed, that was at a full prorated salary. Now, I did a little math. I talked about it on my show. So that would mean they'd get about 70% of their expected salary for the year. 50-game season, which has been proposed by the owners, uh, pays the players just over 30%. So in the middle is 82 games. We still might get there. And uh, until they tell me it's canceled, guys, I I just don't think that they would throw away a season. But it it does get more pessimistic by the minute. Dan, the part that I was stuck on was now they're ready to talk about baseball without fans. Like, what? Yeah, of of course, there's going to be no fans. That's the entire reason why we're talking about any of this. Like, the reason why owners have said that they can't play the 114-game season or a longer season is because there will be no fans in the stands, and therefore their gate revenues are going to be down. I just, maybe I'm reading too much into that portion of it, but if that's what you're talking about with the union, it seems to me that they're dragging their feet at this point, the owners, I'm suggesting, to get to that 50-game season because they have said publicly now they they don't want to play past October 31st. Again, it seemed like a formality. You know, everybody knows there's not going to be fans in the stands. And now you can counter with the union and just say, look, we know there's no fans in the stands. So whether you want to believe it or not, here's our numbers. And this is what it's going to take to pay those salaries that you want to have. But we're only going to go to 50 games or 70 or 82 or whatever the game uh, wants to do that in that regard. I don't know about you, just the irony of seeing, you know, the NHL a couple of days ago say, hey, we're coming back. The NBA about an hour ago has their plan in place. 
MLS was the one league that was having um, a similar type labor situation uh, with their league and players. They've gotten that figured out. They're moving forward, and here we are talking about fans in the stands or fans not being in the ballpark. I, I just I don't quite get it because you're you know the the. The, the sporting public wants sports. You know, you, you want to see it. You want to see action back, and you have a chance to be the first sport back. And you're in your season. This is your heyday, where you are not competing with college football and the NFL and the NHL playoffs. This is it. Um, I, I just, I don't understand it. I, I really don't. A final thing on this line of questioning from me, Dan. There's now a tweet coming out from Joel Sherman, who's a national baseball columnist for the New York Post, saying. I have heard greater pessimism today from folks on both sides about MLB launching a season that at any point, people who previously thought that the sides would find a way are now expressing at least greater doubt, often more so than that. Dan, they're not really going to butcher this this poorly, right? There's, I just, I continue to believe that they've got to find a way to be able to do this. I I can't believe that they're going to mess this up this badly, right? Uh, I'm with you. Uh, um, crazier things have happened, and the sport has been resilient a bunch of times coming back from work stoppages. But as I've said from day one, this is different than any of the other ones. There's a pandemic. There's 40 million-plus unemployed, um, and we have nothing on the air that concerns sports, and people want to see it back. And I really do see it from both sides, and I know that sounds like I'm kind of straddling the fence here. If I'm a player, my shelf life is short. I want to get paid. I agree to a salary cut. Now I'm going to have to take another haircut. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. If I'm an owner, I'm saying, well, 40% of my revenue, as you uh, explained rightfully, is with fannies in the seats. We don't have them. So here's our piece of the pie. Where I get concerned is that, again, it's not me writing the checks. So understand that. But understand this. Going forward, if you don't play this year, it's not only the fans that step away. Many of them will, and not all will come back. That 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 happened in '94. Even with some great things that were going on, they they stayed away. Um, but the sponsors too. You know, that's the other part of this too. Is that you know there there could be those that run your the the, the companies out there that are affiliated with baseball and say, now wait a minute, you know, you you had a chance to do something here. We understand everybody took a hit. Hell, our company might be taking a hit, but we decided to keep this person employed or this group of people employed. We stayed in business, and we want to support you, but yet you didn't step up when we needed you most. I'm not sure I want to be affiliated with that. I I hope they're taking a look at all those scenarios because they have to. It's on the table, and it's legitimate. All right, Danny, you know, we talked a bunch here for a long time about the the trust issues between – the players, the players' union, and the owners, and Major League Baseball, and to, to throw some gas on the fire here, and I just want to get your thoughts on this. Is you know the Chicago Cubs come out in an article, and uh, Ricketts claims that seventy percent of the Cubs' revenue comes from the gate, and and so basically saying that only thirty percent come from everywhere else. We did some math in here, although it was challenging for this group, as you know. Well, that's why we're in media. Yeah. This could all be wrong, but let's go on the premise of it. And it didn't really mathematically work out for us, what he was saying about 70%. So, like, at this point, is the trust issue, is it even getting worse by the day, especially with comments like that? Let's put it this way, Ribs. If if they do play, and let's just say that 
the 50 games is what gets agreed upon. The unilateral implementation of this schedule. Um, there's next season. There's this year, you know, short. Then next year, if you play, and then um, a potential of a work stoppage because the CBA is up. Could you imagine the raw nerves and feelings coming out of this negotiation going into the oh. next one? Awful. So it, it, it does have a trickle-down effect, to your point. Now, with the Cubs, where I'd be concerned is they, they were ready to start their own network, te- television network. They have built up around Wrigley Field and Wrigleyville mm-hmm. with bars and restaurants and a beautiful hotel that we stayed at one time. It's gorgeous. So all that is gone. Um, and then your revenue. Uh, they're packing that place pretty tightly, uh, especially when the summer months come and it's a beautiful day in Chicago. A lot of people go to Wrigley Field. So I, I got to wonder if all that is tied into what he's saying, or is it just from people going to the ballpark in the seats? Is it people going to the ballpark and then hanging around at the bars and restaurants that they have a piece in or own? And that's part of the revenue. I, I just don't know. I, I can't answer that question. Um, but long story short, you know, you look at Ballpark Village, you look at what's going on in Atlanta. They built up around their ballpark. You got what's going on at Wrigleyville. Um, a lot of that money is tied in with people going to the stadium. And, you know, what's the cutoff? Do you include that in your revenue? Or are you showing that? Or is it just people in the ballpark going to a game and buying a hot dog uh, and a soda and a beer and popcorn and Cracker Jack and all the things that go with it and your parking? Um, I, I just don't know. And that's where I think some of the distrust is coming up is like, show us your books. Like, what do you have actually on the books that are totally baseball related and what is not? I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I think that's something that needs to be figured out and it's got to be figured out quickly because again, the the CBA for the next round is not far away. And from the player's perspective, and I don't know, especially if, you know, 65% of the players make under a million bucks. And if you're not going to make money this year and you go into next year and everybody's saying, well, let's not play. Let's wait until we get the deal we want. That's a long time not getting a check. That's well over 18 months. I don't know if players would do that. So maybe from an owner's perspective, they're saying we can break the union on this. I don't know. I mean, all these things to me are on the table. Talking with our very own Dan McLaughlin, voice of the Cardinals, scoops with Danny Mack daily, 10 to 11 a.m. here on 101 ESPN. Danny, final one from me. And it goes back to the wording of one of the tweets that we read earlier is the owners have no intention on countering with their offer. How concerning is that? And are they is, is it just blatantly telling the players, yeah, you need to do better? Or is this are we now into that official standoff point? Well, I, I don't think there's a winner on either side. I, I don't. Um, I, I think this standoff has turned a lot of people off on the game now. I think if they said later today, let's say 4 o'clock, and Ken Rosenthal comes out with a tweet and says, MLB and the Players Association have come to an agreement, I I think people would be like, okay, I'm in. And bygones are bygones. I'm not going to sit there and worry about the, the squabbling over the last couple of weeks. I really do. I think people have short memories on that. However, if they don't come to an agreement, and if it's economics truly the reason why you don't play, 
then there's a real problem, and you won't get those fans back. Now, if it's the safety and the, the health protocols, because I'm not sold that all this stuff is going to work anyway, whether it's baseball, NHL, NBA, I love the fact that they're going to try, and I think it's important to try and to get everything lined up to do it, and if it doesn't work out and the virus breaks, then, hey, you, you shrug your shoulders and you say, man, we tried, and we got to keep people safe. For instance... Two Tokyo Giants players, including their league MVP of 2019, have tested positive for COVID. And Japanese baseball players, guys, have been isolated since March. The stadium's empty, disinfected, temperatures taken, and the virus still found a way in. So you get my point, is that it can happen. Um, And it probably will happen in these sports. But there's risk being taken on every front of this. But if it comes down to the economics of it, then shame on both sides because there's going to be people that just do not forgive them, whether it's businesses or the players or the owners or fans, certainly. They're just not going to forgive them, and that's what it's going to come down to. Dan, final question for me, and we'll get you out of here on this one. If Major League Baseball decides, you know what, we're just going to unilaterally implement the 50-game season, that's what we're going to do, and that that's where we're at at this point. And let's say they do this a week and a half from now because they believe that that's the deadline for them to do so. What do you think the players do? Do you think that they ultimately decide not to play if Major League Baseball unilaterally implements a 50-game season? I think it's the the question now on the table. I think that's the biggest question because it just seems like owners are not going to budge on on getting down to the 50 games or at least getting down to, let's say, 82, which is where they started. Um, I, I, I'm with you, Brandon. I, I think that's the question. Would players just step away? I do think you'd have some really big-name players that step away. And maybe part of this is trying to break the union now because you're going to have, as I said, younger players not making a ton of money uh, in baseball terms saying, I, I need to play. You know, I haven't had my bite at the apple. i, I got to keep my skills sharp. I need to play. I want to play. i got to play for next year. Um, and the big-end uh, big guys are going to say, I made my money. I'm, I'm walking away from this. But are you, are you standing collectively as a union? Um, Ribs could probably answer that better than I, but you know that's where you're going to have maybe some infighting with the players. That some say we want to do it, some don't, and who knows? Maybe all of them say no, no, no. I'm not taking a second haircut. I, I already did this. I'm not doing it. Um, I could see some of them saying that too, but I do think that's the next part of this. If there's no negotiation on getting back to towards 82 games, if this is it, the 50 games, take it or leave it then it's squarely on the players and trying to win a PR battle. And I don't think either side is winning the PR battle. I think it's been an awful look for the sport. He's Dan McLaughlin. You can hear him weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock on Scoops with Danny Mac right here on 101 ESPN. Check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Dan, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Try to keep the optimistic vibes going, please. <laughs> I'll do my best. I was very optimistic as recently as 24 hours ago, and I it's, it's waiting. Too. I'm going to go back in my room and start bawling again. <laughs> Dan, we wish you the best, man. We'll be right there with you shortly. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. Talk you to bet. you soon. That's Danny Mac joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's 120. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's stick with this for a minute. On the other side, we will get to Justin Bourne. He's a hockey writer for The Athletic. But I want to kind of respond to some of the stuff that we've been talking about here, Jamie. Jeff Passan suggesting that Major League Baseball might implement a a 50-game season into play just unilaterally, not not coming to an agreement with the Players Association, just saying, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be a 50 games. You'll get your full prorated salary for those 50 games. If that ends up being what happens here, Jamie, that basically tells me what it told Danny Mack 
The owners are trying to win. Mm -hmm. They're trying to win this negotiation. And it was Jason Stark who told us last week, he said, listen, I think what's been really special about the NHL's negotiation is that nobody's trying to win. They understand this is unprecedented times, and they have to do this for the good of the game. For the good of the game, they've got to come together in a time um, of difficult circumstances to find a path forward. Major League Baseball isn't doing that. The Players Association and the owners are trying to win this negotiation. And specifically, especially the owners, are trying to win this negotiation for the now and for next year. And I don't know that I can forgive them for that. Well, I'll tell you what. Danny Mack brought up a very interesting point of, are the owners taking the stance of trying to break the union right now? And I can go back to the lockout of 2004, the NHL, uh, where we, we didn't play at all that season. And the league, their main goal was to break the union. And they kind of did. You know, Bob Goodnow was relieved of his duties in the middle of that negotiation. They brought on Ted Saskin, who was kind of a disaster in place. Um, you had a big divide between the players, the superstars on one side of the fence, and the plumbers, guys like me on the other side, going, hey, what are we doing here? Let's get back to work. I can't make it another six months without a paycheck. And so ultimately it did. It broke the union up into pieces. We had guys on the same teams ending up in fist fights after and all this stuff going on. I think that's where the owners are headed right now because ultimately the NHL got their salary cap out of that whole thing. I think ultimately baseball right now is going, get. Yeah, you know what? This is our chance to salary cap this league because we can create a divide. We can create friction amongst the union. And at that point, I think we can do this. It's just such a bad look, and it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. Well, it's we, an awful strategy. It's yeah. it's a it's a crude, brash, awful strategy. But I'm telling you right now that based on everything I'm reading and hearing, and now Danny Mac bringing it back into my brain from years ago, that they, they are certainly trying to maybe not break the union, but certainly smash it into some pieces, and and from there try to get their salary cap. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. There's a fine line between stubbornness and stupidity. Both sides are being stubborn and looking very stupid right now. I think that's there, there's a lot of accuracy in that statement. We, we are now to a place where I, I feel like there's an obvious middle ground. There's a literal middle ground between the two. You just have to count oh, up and count but down. But the owners don't want it. It's 82 games. The owners don't want it, BK. I know, but if you, you could, you've you already said we're willing to do this 50 games, right? You've already stated that. You have seeded mm -hmm. that high ground of being further than that, of being further to the left of that. You have told the players, if you want to play 50 games at your prorated salary, we're in. We will sign yep. up for that today. That is our worst-case scenario. In fact, they are now saying, suggesting that they're willing to unilaterally implement that. So they decide that that's what it's going to be. You have determined 50 games, prorated salaries, we're in. So then just defer the other 32 games. The money from the other 32 games, say we're going to defer that over the next three years. We'll basically pay 10 games worth of salary per year for each of those players. And you move forward that way. It solves your cash flow problem that all of the owners are crying poor about right now, even though we may or may not believe them on that. But they, they are suggesting it. So it solves that issue if you believe it. Mm -hmm. And it continues. It's the exact same amount of money that you would have spent otherwise for the 50-game season. The players get what they want, which is their full 82, and they're able to have that full money, even if it is deferred. 
the owners get what they want, which is the 50 games paid this year and the postseason, and you end on October 31st, it's a win-win. Nobody gets everything they want. Everything gets something that they wanted. Okay, here's the here's the obstacle in this from a business standpoint. Okay, if I'm the owner and I'm looking at that exact proposal, at the end of the day, I'm still out the total amount of cash. Whether it's deferred or not, I have to look at the nut itself and go, I'm going to be paying this much no matter what. Even if it's over the next two, three years, whatever they decide. And right now, unfortunately, the owners can't see what next year is going to look like or the year after. Like, what if it gets worse? What if things change and what if covid come like i'm just saying right yeah. so the unknown well, so you're gonna have to not have another good negotiation which is going to be the case either way but right? i'm just saying they're going to be owing this money and uh, the the owners are saying we'll play your 82 games at a rollback of being paid for 50 well of course they want the cake and eat it too right so the easiest way for the owners to justify doing all this is to have an exact number 50 games that's like 30% of your salary. They've done the math. They look at it, the math, cross-reference with their revenue, whatever that is. They're like, you know what? We can live with this. Anything more. And I think the owners are so worried about not getting enough revenue for the season. That's the sticking point. It's not right. It's not cool. It's not fun for us. But that's the sticking point. Final point from the 314. Please, please, please. I listen every day and I'm still confused. How will the owners lose money in all of this? I realize they won't make their usual hundreds of millions of dollars, but how are they actually going to lose money where their bank in their bank accounts? Are they actually going to be smaller at the end of the year? Depends who you listen to. But in my <laughs> that's opinion, the same question we're asking, we'd like to know too. I agree. I, I, I think that their revenues will shrink. I think that they will operate at a lower Mm-hmm. profit margin this year maybe they even break even this year that's not why you get into baseball as an owner well in- I, that's where i differ with you I, these guys it's a business i told you before my opinion is that there's a handful of owners but that the get valuation it- of your ownership is what ultimately you get into it for it appreciates unlike anything else in this country the ownership groups continually go up. The price for That's these teams. It's a business. Conti- That's exactly what it is. Sure. But so you're I'm, getting into it to make money. Right. But what I'm saying is that the, the value in the business is not the annual revenues and the profits that you're making. The value in owning a baseball franchise is the fact that if at any point you decided to sell whatever you came in at, like play for for instance, right now, the Royals just sold for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Ten years from now, that might be worth $1.5 billion. That's where the real value is in these franchises. The valuation, quite frankly, comes from the league itself. How healthy is the league revenue-wise? That increases everybody's value of their team, their own personal team, let alone their geographic area and things like that. But, yes, but at the end of the day, I'm sorry, 99% of these owners, this is a business. Whether they're looking at increasing their money through valuation and selling the team later on or if they count on the revenues yearly, some of these guys don't care about baseball in the least. And I think that right now, those are the voices that are prominent in the room. That's a problem. Yes. It's a problem. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's talk about a sport that's got its bleep together. Justin Bourne is a co-host of Hockey Central on 590 in Canada. He's also a senior NHL writer for The Athletic. Let's talk to him about the NHL and what the questions are that players are asking right now next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. We are joined by Justin Bourne. He's a co-host of Hockey Central on Fan 590 up in Canada, and he's a senior NHL writer for The Athletic. Justin, we appreciate you hopping on today, man. Thanks so much. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. We're happy to have you. So let's start with the obvious. Um, I... I was very optimistic for the last like two, three weeks about hockey's return. And then the last couple of days, the more we've talked to people in and around the league, it feels like there's been a little bit of a shift in terms of the player thinking of what where we're headed from here. Where are you at on the return to play and just how optimistic you are that we're actually going to see these guys back on the ice in July? I'm still super optimistic. Uh, I think it's quite likely that they'll find a way. Part of the reason I'm optimistic is just, there is a level of desperation from the NHL and the NHL players to, to get these games in. And, and that primarily comes from a financial standpoint, as unfortunate as that may be. But there is a lot of dollars at stake here. Uh, I, I know the curse word that uh, we say on our show with uh, Anthony Stewart is escrow. Uh, <laughs> players. Uh, so, you know, there's the potential to mitigate some of the damages there. So I think... Uh, as bad as things are, and we understand that health is the most important thing, I think that the NHL could turn a blind eye to a few positives and still find a way to, to truck through. It's just that important to them from a financial standpoint. All right, Justin, um, to start off here, I have to ask you this, okay, because to our listeners who don't know, uh, Justin's father, Bob Borden, is famous hockey player, New York Islanders, Stanley Cup champion, and Justin is married to Clark Gillies' daughter. And for those who don't know who Clark <laughs> Gillies is, he's basically your worst nightmare if you cross him. So how uh, how is life being married into the Gillies family? It's, uh, it's funny you mentioned that, like... When so I actually I lived next door to my now wife uh, when my when I was like zero to five years old. You know, both our dads are in the Islanders. They're best friends, and they bought houses beside each other. So literally, we were next door neighbors. Uh, I didn't see her for twenty years, uh, and I went back to Long Island when my dad got inducted into the Islanders Hall of Fame. I sort of remet uh, Clark's daughter, and things went well. So. Uh, when it started to sort of be happening, my friends used to send me Clark's fight videos and be like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, is this a decision you think you should be making? Because once you decide to go out with her, there's no messing this up. Uh, fortunately, everything worked out. It's been wonderful. He's a, He's an awesome guy, and uh, I'm very lucky to have ended up on his good side. That's great. Yeah, I was uh, always curious about that. I'm like, wow, this guy, he's got some serious <laughs> pishneras to be doing that with Clark Gillies. I'll tell you that much. But uh, now to, to follow back up with the NHL, uh, the current format that they've come up with, like if we get back to hockey, they've established what the format's going to look like. You know, I listen to you uh, up in Canada and, and I watch the show and whatnot. But what are your feelings to our listeners here in St. Louis? What are your feelings of the format? What do you like about it? And maybe if there's anything you don't like about it. Well, one thing I think if you're St. Louis listeners that I don't like about it is I don't think that enough credit or credence is being given to the regular season so far. You know, the the Blues could conceivably end up in a situation here where they'll have a three-game playoff with the one through four seeds, and they could end up the four seed in the West. And, you know, that's that doesn't seem to fair for a team who did so much in the regular season is better than that. So, you know, there's there's some sense that the regular season has kind of been... Uh, not been given enough respect on my side. Uh, on the other side, I think that the teams that snuck in by the skin of their teeth to these weird playing games, like the 12-seeded uh, Chicago Blackhawks, 
I'd like to see them have to beat the Oilers four times in a best of five. I'd like to see the Oilers have some reward for being that much better than them through 70 games and say, all right, you know, beat Chicago twice and you're through. Right now they're on equal footing, and I think the NHL did that to, you know, sort of bring all these fan bases back and give them genuine hope. But I don't know, man. You know, you see entire leagues, soccer leagues in particular, where they reward the championship based on the regular season games. Here we're just kind of going, ah, Whatever, let's all kind of call it all good and start over, and I don't necessarily appreciate that. We're talking to Justin Bourne, the co-host of Hockey Central on Fan 590 up in Canada. He's also a senior NHL writer for The Athletic, and my best friend because he completely agrees with everything that I've been saying (laughs) over the last couple of weeks here about the playoff format. I am curious from your perspective, Justin, do you think there's a specific style of team or a young team versus an older team that will have an advantage given this postseason format well it's tough to say because you can you can kind of make the case either way for a young or an old team you know the old team gets to be all rested and the young guys um you know you you would have expected their fitness not to drop off as much so you can make either case i like a team like uh, carolina who gets guys back from injury uh you know carolina could have dougie hamilton and brett pesci back who they were missing uh, there's there's other teams with injuries too columbus gets back seth jones cam atkinson oliver bjorkstrand um, and then Colorado gets back a bunch of big names too. So certainly the teams that were, were injured and, and kind of limping down the stretch should see some advantage being uh, at 100% come play, play in time. How important and, and how much difference is it going to make? And I'm going to keep this local again with the St. Louis Blues. How great is it going to be for them to get a healthy Vladimir Tarasenko back in the lineup to where not just returning to the lineup, but basically he's getting to start from the starting line with everybody. They're not any farther ahead of him at this point. Yeah, that's massive. We actually, we had the question on our show, which team is helped most by the addition of a single player, you know, a single player getting healthy. And I did get killed for it, um, but I did say Tarasenko was my guy just because the Blues aren't necessarily a dynamic offensive team. You know, they got some guys who can score, but they need all of those offensive horses, uh, you know, at full strength to, to score with some of the best teams in the league. And so they've missed, they would miss him and having him back, you're right. On, on equal footing with everyone else, man. That's that's big for the Blues. And, you know, as much as you don't love the play-in game, you love that the team looks to be fully loaded to head for another, you know, to defend their title. To ask you a follow-up on that, in the Western Conference, where would you rank the Blues among your best contenders? I, I think I, well, you know, dicey on this show. I think I like Colorado better. You know, hey, the, what's the, wrong the, with you? Justin, <laughs> I said a minute ago that I really liked you. We agreed on the playoff <laughs> format, and then you go and do something like this. That was an underhand pitch know, for you. <laughs> I know, I know. Listen, I know what the answer is supposed to be. <laughs> I love the Blues. They've shown they can do it. I just, it's hard for me to look at the, you know, the, the abs bringing in Kadri and, you know, all their young offensive talent. I'm an offensive guy. I couldn't play D to save my life. The Blues play this <laughs> cohesive team format with good defense and physical play. I want to watch the guys just flying around the ice. So the Blues are a much more complete team, but I like Colorado's top end. All right, so we talk about defense and St. Louis Blues. We have absolutely got to get a little bit of a temperature gauge from, especially, you know, you're in the hotbed of hockey up there. A guy like Alex Petrangelo, he's still unsigned for next year, going to be an unrestricted free agent. And we know it's going to be a unique offseason based on the, the pandemic and the lack of revenue and where the salary cap might end up. But what kind of attention will Alex Petrangelo get if he does indeed hit the open market? Well, you know, a ton, but it's going to be wild, like wild. Like, let's say the Blues 
meet expectations and end up in the Stanley Cup final and finish when? I don't know, like November 1st, something like that. And all of a sudden it's going to be like, so they finish November 1st, all of a sudden there's going to be an instant calculation of what is the salary cap for the next season. Everyone is going to have to figure out what they have. Is there going to be buyouts? You know, can, getting Petrangelo is going to be harder than ever for every team. And for him, man, his bottom line is going to get crushed, unfortunately. So it is going to be a mad dash, uh, you know, before the start of the next season to see who can get their hands on him. Uh, obviously, the Blues would like to if they could, and I'm sure he'd love to stay. But there is going to be a lot of calculator crunching going on come November. Justin, it's always difficult to be able to say nationally what the perspective is on a player based on what we think of him here locally. And so here internationally, I suppose. How is Alex Petrangelo viewed from those outside of St. Louis? Well, I mean, he's coveted. He is a, now that he's got a Stanley Cup under his belt and what he's done in international play, just, you know, D are so tough to come by, let alone elite D. Yeah, I think now there's a sense that as players get older, you know, we're not as eager to pay older guys anymore. That's just the reality of a better understanding of aging curves and where money has to go in the NHL. So I think there's a bit of a buyer's beware tag on anyone who's who's a little bit older, but at the same time, there's that desperation to get a good player. So he's he's still someone that, you know, get, get, would get mentioned in the uh, elite among the NHL and, and would make fans drool. There's just the worry, how much do you pay a guy if it's going to be seven years? You might be a little concerned about the back end of that. He's Justin Bourne. You can hear him. He's the co-host of Hockey Central on Fan 590 up in Canada. You can read his work on The Athletic where he is a senior NHL writer. Give him a follow on Twitter as well, at JT Bourne, B-O-U-R-N-E. Justin, we really appreciate the time, man. Let's do this again soon if you could. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. That's Thanks, Justin Bourne joining us here on Ribs and BK. I liked that guy. He's amazing. He really is. He, he went from, for a little background here for our listeners, he was a player, obviously his dad, NHL hockey player. Uh, Justin himself went on to play all the way up to the East Coast Hockey League, suffered an injury that ended his career. He got into coaching, coached at the American Hockey League level for the Toronto Marlies, which is the Toronto Maple Leafs farm team. He started writing independent little blogs and articles, and now he's with The Athletic, and he's on TV, and he's on radio. He's well thought out. He's got a great perspective, and he's, he knows his stuff. You know, he's played the game. He comes from a hockey family. So, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy him. Yeah, well, that's great. He, he agreed with me. He agreed with me in that segment. And that's why I really liked that guy. That's the first time. It's the first time. That's a victory for you. We might get a ring for you for that think, one. Think about all of the credentials that you just gave him. And then I come in by just saying he agreed with me. Like that, that guy with all of the credentials, he backed up my opinion. He kind of felt bad for you, though. I didn't even tell him what my opinion was on the matter. <laughs> Everyone deserves a win, BK. Yeah. Blind squirrel, nut. That was me in that in that segment. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's cross things over with the fast lane. Brad Thompson in studio. BT, what's up, man? Nothing. Brad Brad Thompson! Thompson! Yeah, that felt pretty good. <laughs> I can't, you know what I wish? What? You know what I wish now? What? That you just did that. This this just gave me a little uh, an idea. Okay. Of when pitchers come into the game. 
that some guys, you know, end up getting a song, uh, you know, the, generally the closer has their thing. Uh, but I think that every single pitcher that comes into a game, because look, we're not trying to speed up the game. Who cares about that? <laughs> I think that everyone should come in like a big boxing match. I've out of yeah. Las, pitching out of Las Vegas, Nevada at six foot one, 190 pounds. And the right, rest of the bullpen so, should be around oh, you. Yes, of course. My my uh, corner men? Yes. Smoke? Oh, As they open the golly. doors out there, a little smoke? Somebody's like uh, putting sticky stuff on me. You know where they do the uh, <laughs> yeah. like the Vaseline on the eyebrow? Somebody's like putting pine tar on my glove. <laughs> <laughs> you get to the mound and you hug your first baseman, hug your second oh, baseman, hey. go hug around. your catcher. You got to do like some ring around the rosy oh, around. Oh, it's the theatrics, right? And before it, your be pitch, great. you walk up to the batter and you get face to face with them. Oh yeah, you Super give them a little drive by. Circles, you know, I'm warming up. Yeah. Okay. The umpire, couple jumping jacks. Yeah, man. The umpire with a microphone talks. All right, guys, I want to, I want a clean first pitch here, and I want a clean at bat. Do you have a song that immediately comes yeah. to mind where you're Not like, really. that would be it? Oh, come on, no. you got to have a song. Is there, is there a, everybody has a song. It's gonna be some sort of. It's gonna be loud and aggressive. I was about to say it's got to be some type of music. It's gonna be hard rock it's gonna be metal like a, it's gonna be avenge sevenfold or it's gonna okay. be disturbed or see? it's gonna be something like see, that you do have a song yeah it's gonna you be see, you it's know gonna be getting me in there a you little know bit. all right with this down with the sickness let the bodies hit the floor oh yeah oh, bodies oh, hit the floor. i wish i threw hard to come in to let the bodies hit the floor <laughs> like i couldn't come into that song it's like hey, what Hicks, song do you want that's reserved yeah for him. i'm throwing 89 sinkers <laughs> down in the zone let the bodies hit the maybe floor maybe let the ball hit the floor <laughs> right Maybe. Or, or, you hit the, or you hit the batter. <laughs> Hopefully. Balls. I was telling, uh, you guys know Lonely Island? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. I, I was telling the, the guys earlier, Anthony was brought up a Lonely Island video that was just h- hilarious. I forget the name of the song. But they used to have a song called... Uh, uh, throw it on the ground. Hmm. You ever heard that? Throw it, on the like, throw it on the ground. And yeah, I said, I man, I that, that was my uh, that, that was my infield in Bridgeport. That was like their theme song. <laughs> you get a ground ball, you're like, yeah, throw it on the ground. They just shuck it. I needed all the help at that time. The thing was gone. It was an SNL skit, which yeah. was phenomenal. Yes. Got a birthday cake from somebody, just throws it on the ground. Okay, I got a question for you regarding baseball. I've been foaming at the mouth to get you in here, and I want to talk about baseball. And it's not to do with the owners rejecting all that. I got to get your temperature gauge on what the Cubs said about (laughs) the fact that they only, they make 70% of their revenue off the gate. I, I got to call bull spit, <laughs> I guess. At the, come on. I understand that you're losing money. I get that people come not coming into your ballpark, not buying hot dogs and not buying that crappy old style beer. That, that you, you don't gain money off of those things. But to say you're losing money in biblical proportions? <laughs> really? That's what we're going to do? <laughs> we cannot pay. Like, uh, Come on. You guys are doing, you're going to be okay. You, the owners are going to stay afloat. Well, uh, he's a worth too much hundred million. million. Yeah, Personally. he's really struggling here. Well, man, man, now maybe it's 875. Like, who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But out to him. I'm not crying myself to sleep o- over that. Just like people listening right now aren't going to cry themselves to sleep over the players getting 30% of their wage if it ends up being 50 games. You so know? I do find this to be interesting. Craig Edwards, who we had on the show yesterday, he said, by my Smart rough guy, math, by uh, any arbitration eligible player or veteran free agent with a full season salary of around $940,000 or less has already se- received in advance equal to or more than what their prorated salary would be for 50 games. So you're playing for free? 
Yes, essentially. It, 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 that's what you got for sixty thousand, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's that's what they've already received. So what? So why thanks would for the your players service. Come back. Yeah, you know what? Mainly because I still believe that there is a, an idea of first of all, you want to play and you want to earn your money. I still think that there is that part of it. You don't want just to, to get money just to get money. Like guys want to get the season in, and it certainly means. Uh, it, while there's a lot of the guys that are making that 560000 that, that big league minimum that have already been advanced a, a significant amount, there's a lot of uh, other players that, by the way, the guys making the minimum hope to be at some point uh, making millions of dollars that have more scratch to make, you know? So I, I still think that guys want to go out there and earn it. They would prefer to go out there and, and play the games and be a part of it. But 50 games to me, I still don't see it happening, boys. I don't see 50 games happening. They're going to come up with something. It still seems so easy. Like, the middle ground is 82. You've already said you'll pay the 50. Just do the 50 as the full prorated salaries. And then if, even if you got to defer the remaining 32 games, like Correct. just do it that way. Why I just is, feel like the owners are hard. set on it, though, guys. I just feel like they're set on it. Yeah, but they were set on the last thing. Oh, mm-hmm. we're going to do this sliding scale. And I was like, <laughs> no, we're not. That's a good point. So, uh, uh, but, but Remember the, the revenue the, sharing? Yeah. Well, the <laughs> big key should, is... The player should have taken that. Why? Are you kidding Why? me? Why? The revenues that they're doing. You get to see the books then. No, you yeah, don't. That's do the it. thing. Why not? I was talking, uh, I was talking, I had a phone conversation earlier with Danny Mack today, and we were just talking about baseball and stuff in general. And I said, man, the more I think about it, the more I feel feel like a, a, a salary capital floor might behoove the sport. Like, it, it might be better for I said it. that about two weeks ago. But, and we both came to the agreement of, yeah, but what? what's the revenue? Like, what? Here, here's what we make. You get half of this. And then all of a sudden, what they make is on the back page in, like, small little Yeah, scribble. but the NHL figured it out. You know, they, they did. And I know the revenues it's aren't the trust the same, issue, man. It's but the trust. The trust <laughs> issue, for sure. Point. The biggest, the hardest part of the negotiation is actually, like, to your point, determining what is going to be classified as baseball revenue. What are yeah. we doing that? So that, you're right. It's going to well, be hard. And the hard part is if you're going to do something like that in the future, and again, it's not going to happen. The union is very set against it. But I wouldn't be picking this CBA to start attaching myself to revenue. Yeah. No, because times are no, tough. Oh, and we gosh, don't know what the no. future looks like. So. So we'll just keep making money hand over fist. We got a great text here. B- uh, Is it BT? about my song? Yeah, uh, 618. BT song would be Let the Ball Hit the Scoreboard. <laughs> yeah. I personally think that's a low blow. Well, I don't like it. If you thought it was that low, I don't think you'd have read it. No, so, I wanted to bring up a point. I want to make sure that they, they know I don't like that. Bring it. That was an interesting way to do it. Yeah. yeah. I'm we not just happy with that. not responded to it. Yep. It's like feeding trolls. But, <laughs> but I feel like responding to it. One. Now I know. Yeah. Now they know. Broken I don't like glass. it. Hitting the scoreboard. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. This has been Ribs and BK. The Fast Lane is coming up next. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.